us in. And now, you are going to have to let us stay. Doesn't make sense. I closed the gate. What if he never left? What if we locked him out here with us? He'd want to attach himself to someone again. A new host. It's building something. No matter what happens, we have to stop him. Together. Now it's time. We are going to end you. We are going to end your friends. And we are going to end everyone. in danger. We need to end this. I can fight. Better than any of us. But I need you safe. What the hell? I need you to trust me. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC, and we're broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, but also coming to you through the power of iTunes and Google Play and StarWarsUnderworld.com. And we have another amazing episode for you guys tonight. We're going to be revisiting something. And I should say just visiting it because it's been a long time coming. 
and we'll get to that. But it's something that we wanted to talk about for a little while. We didn't get a chance to watch it until now, so we watched it. We're going to talk about it tonight. Some of you may have already seen it by now, but we're going to discuss it tonight. Stranger Things 3! Yes, we're returning to the Upside Down, and we're going to talk about the third season of the just pop culture phenomenon that is Stranger Things and that amazing franchise that has come about. And we're going to be talking about it a little bit later and a little bit, a little bit of news and uh, other stuff. But, uh, of course, I should introduce ourselves if you're unfamiliar. My name is Ben, and joining me as he has for several episodes and hopefully many, many more, it's my good buddy, Mr. Jake Damon. How's it going, everybody? Uh, lots of news today. Lots yeah. of lots. fun news. I'm excited to talk about Stranger Things, but I think I'm even more excited to talk about some of the things that dropped today. I, I kind of started off today with, you know, kind of meh, and then it just kept getting better and better because I kept refreshing my Twitter feed, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about it all. Absolutely. And also joining us, yes, there's a third person on this podcast. He's back. You know him. You love him. Mr. Zach Arnold, he's back. How's it going, man? I'm back, baby. I'm excited to be back, even if it's just for this particular episode. Um, you know, Football season is fun, but it's grueling. Luckily, we had a Thursday night game instead of a Friday night game. So I'm actually here live, which Yay. is really cool. Um it's 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 been it's been a kind of a crazy ride, but uh, I'm I'm happy to to be talking about Stranger Things with you guys and to be talking about the news with you guys. Um, it's kind of funny that this isn't really a, a newsreel episode, but there's enough content out there that it could be. So um, we'll have to choose our words carefully about our excitement for that because we do have, you know, like what eight episodes, nine episodes, eight. Yeah. episodes of content from this uh, this pop culture phenomenon, as you put it. And so uh, trying to cover all those bases in a couple of hours, that's a, that's a daunting task, but I feel like we're up for it. Yeah, yeah, we'll do and it. We, we, we'll make it. And we've already decided that we're going to spend an hour talking about each episode. Of course, of course. Only natural, only natural. <laughs> um, I mean, and it's, yeah. only, it's, only, it's only fitting that we talk about the episode for as long as the episode's length is. Yeah. So, I mean, this will be the longest episode in IPC history, I think. So we'll be talking, you know, uh, 11 hours um, at least, considering the news and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Jake, can you handle that all by yourself? Because i got to get to bed at a decent time tonight. Oh, I I thought maybe you could because I also have to get to bed. Wow, wow, wow. He makes an executive decision doesn't want (laughs) to stick around for it. Jeez, this guy. (laughs) I could have sworn we talked about it. Yeah, sure, sure. Of course we talked about it. Yeah, sure. Okay, something we really do need to talk about, guys. This is massive news. I'm I'm not kidding here. This is huge news. This is the biggest news to come out of today, and this wasn't the only news to come out of today. Um, so as you know, there's been a lot of drama around Spider-Man these past few weeks and months. We had in the wake of Spider-Man Far From Home, we had the news that Sony and Disney weren't exactly getting along, and that Spider-Man was probably out of the MCU. Could be forever, could be for a little while. Well, we got the news today that he is officially back in the MCU. He, they have struck a new deal 
between Sony and Disney, and they're going to have him in at least one more film, at least one more film in the MCU, plus something else down the line. Kevin Feige's hinting at him being the first superhero to jump between universes, so that's interesting. But the big takeaway here is that Spider-Man 3 is happening. That is a done deal. Tom Holland will be back. John Watts will be back. Kevin Feige will be back. It's happening. It's for real this time. And, you know, even if that's all we get, at least we'll get a conclusion. He'll get a trilogy. He'll get a nice, good, solid, full story in the MCU. And it won't be this very tragic and unexpected thing. Hopefully they can work it out to where he'll continue on this. But, uh... <coughs> he'll get killed off. <coughs> it's already happened. It's already happened. Um, but what do we think about this? Are we excited? Are we happy? I... I was so sad when they said he was gone. Like, everybody was sad. This was bad for everyone, you know? Bad for Sony, bad for Marvel. I mean, it might have been good for Sony a little bit, but bad for the fans most of all. And I, it was a low point for me. I'm not going to lie. I know it's all it's just a movie. I know that. But as a beloved character, it was such a great uh, day when we found out he was coming to the MCU initially and it felt like all of that was just being wiped away you know just because of money or because two companies couldn't make a deal and when we got this news today first of all the first article I read wasn't like a it wasn't like a big news site or anything like that so I was like wait a second this had better be real or else I'm gonna throw my phone out the window <laughs> and uh and then I saw some more news articles and then Deadline and Variety. And I'm like, okay, there's something to this. And uh, yeah, I could not be happier. I'm excited for the future. I think uh, I think this is good for everybody. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I'm, I guess the deal as it stands right now with this new agreement is he's getting a new solo film. So an, another solo film. So a third Spider-Man movie, which is great. Uh, and then he's going to appear in a future MCU movie, like an Avengers type film or something like that. Uh, anything beyond that, no idea, but I will take what I can get. Exactly. Exactly. Zach, what's your take on this? Uh, I mean, I kind of predicted this, didn't I? Probably. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I said something to the extent of this is not how it's going to ultimately play out. Like, I I knew that this was too big a franchise, too big of a storyline. He's too beloved of a character. It's too big of an opportunity for Sony to, to back out of. I Like, I could tell the writing on the wall was there that this is, this is a negotiation that was ongoing. They hadn't reached a final decision yet, and somehow the negotiations got leaked, and it turned into something that was way bigger than it was. And now we get the official announcement. Can, like, can you imagine if that stuff hadn't leaked and we get this information? People would be all excited that we're getting Spider-Man 3 as a part of the Phase 4. Yeah. Because it's coming in 2021, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be so. July 2021. I think, that's what, I think that's what it said, July of 2021. So I, that, based on what we know of the timeline, that should be a part of this next phase, shouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a post somewhere that said that that'll be the first year that four MCU movies come out at once, which wasn't the original plan, you know. They couldn't announce that during that slate uh, that they announced a couple months ago, but now it's just kind of wedged in there, which is fine by me. Um, you know, I don't know. It's going to have to work, I guess. 
But yeah. I mean, the the whole the whole point being, if that if that if that negotiations had concluded in time and they had been able to announce that you know when they announced everything else, people would have been ecstatic. But now people are almost like relieved instead of just excited. I know there's a lot of people that are excited, but it's also like a sigh of relief. You're like, oh, thank God, we've still got Tom. Oh, thank God, we've got another Spider-Man. Like, there, mm-hmm. there's all this, there's all this, like, a, a huge sigh of relief. And I wasn't even holding my breath to begin with, because I, I knew that that wasn't how things were going to play out. I don't mean to sound like a douche. I don't mean to sound like I, like, predicted this. I'm all knowing. It, it's just, this announcement does not come as a huge surprise to me. It's more like, oh, about time you guys decided to figure things out. And mm-hmm. and now that they're doing it, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. But, you know, I am I'm still one of those proponents of if if you've got Disney and Sony working together and Doctor Strange is going to be exploring the multiverse in his sequel, then why not continue to expand upon the multiverse and bring back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and have like a giant Spider-Man Spider-Verse talk? type of crossover yeah if they, if they decide to go with that then i'm excited then i'm on board i don't feel like they're going to do that because that would take away from the consistency of the mcu that they're trying to push trying to blend it with sony's spider-man would seem a little derivative but it would be cool to see here's my theory on this is that first of all i think multiverses are just becoming more popular and people are seeing that it works and it's an opportunity to uh, bring in so is time travel everybody loves time travel episodes. yeah yeah time travel so, i love time travel well, too but i'm not talking game. i'm not talking about time travel i'm talking about the multiverse just the concept of bringing a bunch of different versions of characters together um in in one place and it's 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 an awesome way to bring fans of all the different versions together for one big thing it's a great way to like multiply your audience uh potentially um you know you, we we've seen that with spider-man into the spider-verse we see that with like uh teen titans that's going on right now they're they're doing it with uh uh the cw right now in a big way and i think that they're going to try and do something similar in the mcu slash the sony universe and kevin feige did say that spider-man like he said this today he said spider-man is the only superhero in our world that has the ability to jump across cinematic universes so he's he's looking at the potential for something more you know and i don't think it has to influence the mcu in a huge way i think that it can be contained in its own like joint uh group project sort of so like you could have a movie like they're talking about having a madam web movie and if you know anything about madam web she's kind of like this figure that's in charge of the whole spider verse you know she's like she can talk to all the different spider people she can bring them to where she is she can send them to other universes it's really cool she's one of my favorite spider-man characters actually from the 90s cartoon and she was in a video game, I think Shattered Dimensions, that was really fun. Um, but that is a great way to introduce the Spider-Verse. And I do think that they would do something like bring Tobey Maguire back. I think that would be awesome. They could bring Andrew Garfield back too. But I I think that's where they're going to lean. Like this deal isn't just to put Peter Parker back in the MCU, but it's also to, to have other characters kind of cross-breed, you know, and have, have a – 
kind of a web well maybe that wasn't the best word choice but (laughs) a web you know for lack of a better term of threesome and trying to come up with some kind of no i am not thinking of i'm not get your mind had to make it weird but uh i think the potential here is really cool jake said it yeah, yeah, I shouldn't sure. have. I shouldn't have. I got to think about what I said. What's but... funny? What's funny is I think Sony. I think part of the deal maybe was that Sony was frustrated that they had the rights to Venom and Spider-Man, technically speaking, but they couldn't cross them over. And I think maybe Marvel was like, "Nah, either you let us have that character and let us put in the MCU properly." Or you keep him over there. Like, we don't want the mixing of that, especially kind of the reaction to that movie or whatever. I can understand them, like, not wanting to cross the streams there. But I think now I think the deal is, I think that's one of the reasons maybe they broke the deal is because that now maybe Marvel Studios is a bit more open-minded about, okay, well, if you want to use Tom Holland in this other one, go do it. If he wants to be in Venom 2, I bet you he will be now. That'll happen. If they want to do other Spider-Man stuff, like Carnage or whatever... That can happen, and that you can have Tom Holland as Spider-Man show up, as opposed to you know that that character kind of specifically staying in the thing. And you know what? That's fine. You know, it might confuse a few people, but like if somebody wants to do a Venom two or Venom three with with Tom Holland, and maybe it's maybe it is, maybe it isn't in the MCU continuity. Who cares? Let him do it. You know, as long as we have ultimately can have that character in the MCU working. Now, I think. I'm wondering how they're going to treat him in the in the in the future. I doubt they would have given him such a huge cliffhanger in Far From Home if they had known this was going to happen. It seems weird. Yeah, when I started I, thinking, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I all I want to say is I think that maybe in the future you'll see more of like Spider-Man 3 will be kind of a a more definitive ending that doesn't have a lot of loose ends to tie up. And they can still come back and add to it, but if he doesn't show back up in the MCU, they don't have to worry about the whole underlying, okay, what's going to happen to the character now? Yeah. Well, when I started thinking about like the implications of what this means of him coming back to the MCU, I had to think back to what the implications were of him leaving the MCU, and that was like the huge frustration I had of like, oh, that cliffhanger of him being revealed as Peter Parker, that's going nowhere. Uh, Oz corp for if that was going to happen with the avengers tower that's going nowhere and now it has the potential to go somewhere which is a relief yeah exactly so i think just ultimately this just keeps going and obviously i doubt this isn't going to be an issue in the future it's going to come back up that sony's gonna they're they're not going to totally agree when you have two giant companies trying to work together it's it's bound for some rocky road so you know mm, ice gonna, cream yeah i know i know <laughs> but uh i think this is gonna come back up for right now we got spider-man 3 we've got whatever else maybe they'll work another film into his deal maybe we'll see him in avengers 5 yeah 5 mm-hmm. avengers 5 um so i don't know it'll be interesting but i think ultimately this is good news this is good news they, they're they're continuing to work together and this is mutually beneficial for literally everyone yeah, and one of the things I would like to see and like to be able to see is for Peter Parker to get older. You know, we started off when he's in high school. What does he look like as you know, a, uh, in his young or uh, early twenties? You know, what what is he going to look like in his thirties? Not saying that he'll be in here that long. I'm I'm not holding my breath for that, but 
it's possible, you know? We can assume that Spider-Man 3 is going to be... Like, he's got to be getting close to getting out of high school. Like, he's got to be close to being a senior and graduating, right. and which is something that the Spider-Man 1, the original Raimi, like, did very quickly. Like, he starts mm-hmm. out in high school, and then midway through the movie, he's graduating, and he's done. Um, yeah. So... It, I'm glad that they've taken their time with this, but ultimately I'm kind of like, I think we're kind of over the Spider-Man, Peter being in high school, all this kind of stuff. They've, they've done that enough. I think you, it's time to kind of bring him up to speed and go, okay, let's do something different with him. And they've, they've Far From Home sits up perfectly with the whole reveal. And so they, they've got, there's so many good possibilities. And the idea of that not happening was terrifying. Um, I'm glad I don't have those feelings anymore. I'm glad we can at least say now that we're going to get that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So completely switching gears, but not not totally. Not totally. So there was some really surprising news that came out just the other day that involves Mr. Kevin Feige of Marvel Studios. It announced that, hey, he's working on a new film, which isn't surprising. He's working on not a lot of new films, you know. What could it be? No, he's not working on a Marvel film. He's working on a Star Wars film. Mm. What? What even is this? So apparently he's been hired on to work on a new unspecified un... there's no release date, there's no cast, no anything. It's just he's making a Star Wars film. We don't know when this thing's coming out. We don't know what it is. But I think the thought of Kevin Feige having any involvement in Star Wars and being able to kind of dip his toe into that, being the incredible talent that he is, that also being a huge Star Wars fan as he is. He's gone on record more than once talking about how his love of Star Wars absolutely influenced the MCU and its creation. So, like, this seems like a really perfect fit. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I, I've kind of I've kind of said a lot about this already on another podcast, so uh, I'll let you guys have this. Um, Jake, what do you think? I think it's great. You know, Kevin Feige, obviously, okay, okay. Let me go back to when so, the guy at Sony was like, well, Kevin Kevin has a lot going on over at Marvel, and he doesn't really have time to make Spider-Man. And then they announced the Star Wars thing, and then the whole <laughs> Spider-Man's back in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Kevin Feige already has a lot on his plate, but he's handling it like a champ. I think he is the kind of guy that is, like, all in. He loves making this stuff, and... And that's like what he is. He's a movie making machine. And uh, he I I think this is great. I mean, he's obviously talented. He's obviously a great mind. You know, he's obviously somebody who understands the material. He understands what angle to go at it. He understands the audience and to 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 have the confidence to take something like Star Wars gives me confidence that he's going to do a great job. Yeah. Exactly. Zach, what, what, what's your take on this? I haven't even heard what you have to say about this. Uh, this may be the first of many hot takes of the night, but I actually don't like this move. Oh, really? Is Jake there... logged off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think it doesn't have anything to do with Feige personally or Lucasfilm personally. I just, there is there's something about it that strikes me as odd or off-putting. And it's one of those intangible things where when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's a thing. But, like, I get no excitement from it. I get no happiness from it. I get no joy or anticipation from it. Like, 
it's just oh he has notoriety he's got fame from marvel so let's stick him in star wars and see what happens but i also feel kind of similarly about benioff and weiss you know they had success with game of thrones so let's see what they can do in the galaxy far far away i'm not gonna like give full judgment until i actually see the finished product you know uh, I didn't know a whole lot about Ryan Johnson, and I I judged like everything strictly on his work, what was put out there, and I, I'm gonna reserve judgment on that for you know Feige, for Benioff and Weiss, for anybody that gets put into uh, the galaxy far far away. There's only so many ways you can quantify the qualifications, and as far as resume goes, Feige's absolutely qualified. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't have any doubt that he's going to be able to let those creative juices flow and come up with something uh, that's going to be different and creative. Like it, it, Nothing about that sounds off to me. It's just, I, I don't know. Here, here's the other problem. We've got so many directors and so few products. The, the, the Star Wars galaxy is full of directors right now. You've got Benioff and Weiss getting a trilogy, from what I understand. Wow. You've got Johnson getting his own trilogy. And now you're giving Feige his own movie, and then who knows whatever else might be happening. You know, um, standalone films or Disney Plus originals or, or what have you. That's at least seven movies for four directors or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of saturation that Lucasfilm's trying to avoid. You know, they they recognized after the Last Jedi and then followed up immediately by Solo that that kind of saturation is not something that the people are really ready for. And so, yeah, we're getting a Feige Star Wars film, but how far out is that going to be? The next decade or something? I just, I I'm that's not. A- good question i'm i'm not i'm i'm not gonna get super excited about this until we have a a plot until we have a cast until we have an expected release date like these these puff piece pressers to try and keep star wars in the news because of the the quote-unquote big names that they've been able to nab all right great you've got them now what at least with Favreau, we knew what we were getting with him and when we were getting it, and now we're actually about to have it. And so, you know, yes, we've got Feige. Now what? Show me mm-hmm. what you're actually going to do. That That's why I really like the Deborah Chow announcement a, a bit more than I like the Feige announcement, because not only does, does Deborah Chow have a lot of experience working on TV series, but they're like, program original series because she worked on jessica jones i believe didn't she she worked on jessica jones she's done uh bear call saul and mm-hmm. she also um worked on the mandalorian um yeah. so, so she's she's been around a lot yeah so she's she's got she's got a, a an equally impressive resume and has worked on original programs that are action-based and not only is she going to be a director, she's going to be the director. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that that has really given me a lot more clarity as far as what we can expect from uh, 
from the Kenobi series. You know, we 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 don't know a whole whole lot about the Kenobi series, but if it's going to resemble Better Call Saul and Jessica Jones as far as tone and action goes, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, we don't, and, and, don't yeah. we don't have we don't have similar. Um, we don't have similar information regarding Feige. We just know Feige's involved in a Star Wars project. Okay. What else? Yeah. That, that's just kind of where I'm at. I had that reaction to the Benioff and Weiss stuff. Is yeah. I I, I, I never that. I never watched Game of Thrones. I know they're talented. I know they've done a lot with that show. You know, it, it didn't like bewilder me. I'm like, don't have a negative reaction to it. But I'm also like. I really don't know. Like, you gotta tell me what it actually is. And even even to extent the the Ryan Johnson stuff, it's like I like Ryan Johnson. I I like the way he way he thinks and the way he does Star Wars. I think it's gonna be really good, and I'm excited for it. But you can only get so excited for it because right. you don't know what any of this stuff is. So you know, ultimately, is this gonna come down to them actually telling us a few things about these things? Because we have three different Star Wars film projects, some that include at least a trilogy that we know nothing about, which is crazy. Um, but you mentioned it, and let's go ahead and talk about it. The uh, Obi-Wan series, just today, as of recording this, a few hours ago, uh, The Hollywood Reporter actually broke this news, but StarWars.com immediately followed it up with a full article and explained that Deborah Chow, who, as you were talking about, she is going to be taking on directorial duties. Um, apparently... She's not just directing like the, the Mandalorian has like all different directors for each episode, pretty much. Whereas it sounds like she's going to be like show running this thing. She's going to yep. be the director for the entire series yep. for six or eight episodes or however long it's going to be. Um, there's also Hossein Amini. I know I'll probably butcher that name, and I apologize. He is going to be, he has written it because Kathleen Kennedy already confirmed that the the series has been written. <laughs> So um, he has written this thing, um, the episodes, and then him and Chow and Ewan McGregor, Kathleen Kennedy, um, and Tracy Seward and John Swartz are all going to be executive producers on this show. It's going to be going into production next year at some point and debuting on Disney Plus at some point in the near future. And this is actually something to really get excited about because we have, we have the creative team, we have the star we know what it's going to be pretty much, and this is happening. This is pretty awesome. Eight years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. Hussein Amini from The Alienist and Drive. John Swartz from Rogue One. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Jason mm-hmm. McGatlin, Lucasfilm's executive vice president of production, will serve as co-producer. I don't think they edited that article very well. Unless that's actually his title. Yeah, I I noticed that it it says his his title is Lucasfilm's executive vice president produ- production it should say vice president of production I suppose or for production or production vice president or something like but that. But I usually don't second guess what StarWars.com puts out there, so uh, you know they probably had an intern write it. Yeah, and see that same thing is in my article that I put up on StarWarsUnderworld.com because you know. What, what what everything on that site's canon, so I can't really even spelling errors. If they spell something wrong, it becomes real. Then I don't I don't think oh the grammar Nazi in me does not think that's how it works. Probably right. Even uh... even even the the grand webmasters of StarWars.com, even they can screw up sometimes. So uh, mm-hmm. 
Just have to spell roll check. Things. Have somebody spell. check your work, especially yeah. when you don't want it to be a PR nightmare. All it takes is one word for something to get screwed up. I almost said a different word. Well, they put they put it out there with the whole ray with the red lightsaber. They had that out as saying that it was a vision, and then yeah. they changed it later. Uh, so that was a kind of a screw up on there. <sighs> but yeah, um, that's that's happening. Any, any further thoughts on all the Star Wars news? Because we had a lot this week. Yeah, a lot more than I was expecting, to be honest. But mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I'm I'm more or less gonna stick to the Mandalorian because I know that like I kind of have a really good idea of what I'm getting myself into with that. Um, I'm gonna be you know excited for Kenobi. And then I'm just going to hide and watch and wait and see what happens with Feige's production and with uh, Benioff and Weiss. You know, until we have more details about what part of the universe they're exploring, all we have is their name and their resume. And to me, that's not quite enough yet. So let's wait and see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, really quick, before we jump into Stranger Things, there's something that I know you, Jake, you wanted to bring up and something really epic that just happened as of a few hours ago, they dropped something completely different from the DC Universe, from the CW. We have another look inside the upcoming Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. And, of course, for those who don't know, Brandon Routh played Superman in Superman Returns way back when. And then he came on board on the Arrowverse to play Ray Palmer, the Atom. And he's been playing that character for a while, and obviously, you know, there's been there's been winks and nods every once in a while that, yeah, he used to play Superman, whatever. But now he's going to actually get to play Superman in this crossover. Not only do they have Tom Welling, they've got Kevin Conroy, they've got all these guys back. They've, they're even getting Brandon Routh to put the tights back on even the red underwear. He's got it all. They got a new picture of him. Jake, I'm going to throw this to you. What did you make of this new photo of Brandon Ralph in the red and blue? Well, I was kind of shocked when I saw it because I thought maybe it was a like a Boss Logic edit or something like that. Oh, like, yeah, that like, guy can really fool you. Yeah, I mean, he does really good stuff. And I was like, okay, I was just actually thinking about Brandon Ralph in this costume. We just talked about it last week on the podcast. And... Uh, and I clicked on it, and I was like, "Nope, this is real. This is so cool." Um, it, I, I pretty much envisioned this, you know. And I guess somebody from I, I follow this Instagram account called Ironhead Studios, I think, and they do a lot of the costuming for superhero movies nowadays. And uh, they mentioned that they had worked on this one, or somebody in their department worked on on this costume. And yeah, it looks really good. It, it's really cool to see Brandon Routh back in the Superman costume. I, I went online and I found a picture of him from Superman Returns and kind of put it next to this this picture. And it's really cool to see the the contrast and the comparison there. Um, Brandon Routh has definitely aged a little bit, which is perfect for what Kingdom Come Superman looks like, you know, and, and they put a little gray in his hair, which is great. And I love that, that new logo, uh, you know, and it's just, I don't know. It's great. I love it. Yeah. You know, what's, what's, what I find funny is that it, it's definitely, you know, a nod to his Superman, his version of Superman way back Mm. in, you know, kind of from the, it's, which is kind of a continuation of the Donner films. Um, 
but also it kind of reminds me of like the really old Superman. I'm talking about you know going way back. Yeah, to you're like right. the original like Superman series and stuff like that. Like from the like black the and whites, right? Yeah, that mm-hmm. the suit like like I like that the suit is very. It's. It looks like it, it. You can put it up next to like the Flash costume or whatever, and like it looks like it fits in with the universe. At the same time, it looks very old school. It looks like something from way back in the day, which yep. I really like. Um, Zach, what did you What did you make of this? I mean, I I only saw it just as I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and didn't really make the connection of of who it was and who he'd played previously until we started talking about it. Um, I've been so out of touch with the CW universe, to be totally honest. Same, actually. That mm-hmm. I, I just, I've just started making fun of it. Like the Arrow, <laughs> is that still on? Like Black Lightning, doesn't he have a cousin with a different name? Like I just, Supergirl, she got a third season, really? Like, <laughs> like just, just making cracks like that. I, I, I don't know. I. A, a lot of it started feeling a bit derivative to me after a bit, and um, it the only thing that they've really had going for them has been these crossovers, bringing all of the shows together and basically doing their own Avengers-style team-ups. And to have all of the nostalgia that they're packing into it, the way that they're doing it, is really cool. Like, I, I appreciate the effort that they're putting into it with people like Conroy, with, you know, Ralph reprising his role they're putting a lot of thought and effort into it. And when you put that much thought and effort into a project, hopefully it pays off with the, you know, the network results and the, the, the commercial revenues and all that stuff. Cause you know, I, I enjoyed the CW when I did start watching it. I enjoyed uh, seasons two and three of the flash. I enjoyed basically like seasons two through four of the arrow you know, there, there, there has been some quality content in there. It's just been sandwiched by a lot of other as well. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't had time for that other anymore. I would sooner rewatch Parks and Rec than go through a derivative storyline. It really makes me sad to say that I, I'm not into it anymore because... Like I used to consider Flash and Arrow. Oh, dude, we had like entire we had like entire podcast episodes dedicated to that amazing show. Like seasons two and three of those series, we were all in. We discussed mm-hmm. them on the show. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And then it cut to the point on the Flash where they had this one guy with a respirator and a uh, what was it, a boomerang lightning thing. And they just couldn't catch him for whatever reason. Fastest man alive can't catch a normal freaking human being. Just <laughs> like I get there's limitations with these shows, but the Flash just got, it just drove me up the wall. And I, I like I don't want to I don't want to hate something, and I don't want to hate watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the kind of person to just hate on stuff, especially after I've given up on it. But uh, yeah, um, so I'm still looking forward to the crossover. I'm still gonna watch it, and I'll probably enjoy it even more knowing that I don't have to. Pay attention to the to all the the all continuity, the, all this kind of stuff. You just kind of watch it and just enjoy the all ridiculousness. All that stuff, all those other things that we're not a fan of, just kind of fall by the wayside as you just watch this crossover, and then you're done. Like those are those are like the big moments of the season is when you come up with some kind of a a crossover event, some kind of team up, and so 
that that's the draw. That's the appeal is even if you don't watch the series, you're probably going to watch the crossover. So it better be good. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like what they're trying to do here. But, you know, now that the arrow is winding down and the, the flash is probably running out of story ideas, you know, what's it going to look like in a couple of years? You know, what is that? What, what is that crossover going to look like without some of those titular characters you're going to have to change it up again. And I'd be curious to see what they do when that time comes as well. Yeah. I'm interested to see. I mean, nice if maybe the crisis on the earth is kind of like a restart could be similar to like Endgame, where you could kind of, for anyone that's kind of checked out or isn't even, hasn't even gone on board so far could kind of jump on at that point and, and watch it, which would be nice. Um, I, I don't expect like you know everything to like make sense because they're pre that, that those shows kind of have a long memory, but I don't know, I don't know. I, I'm I'm looking forward to you know going back to it maybe eventually and and trying again, trying again. I'll give you one more shot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because what, I do I do miss yeah. watching it. I do miss like coming home at night going like oh I want to watch this. I'm looking forward to this and it's not there. You know what else we haven't reviewed on this show in a while? It's also a CW show, and we also used to sing high praises of it. The only difference is this show is still good. I just don't know why we're not talking about it anymore. The 100. I (laughs) am legitimately ashamed of the fact that I haven't gone back to the 100. And it's no reason. It's It's not like I dislike the show. I love the show, every bit of it. But I just stopped watching it. I just didn't get back. I'm, I'm trying to, like, find the right place to kind of go back. I don't know where to start because I kind of stopped mid-season and didn't go back to it. But I really want to return. And maybe maybe if uh, we can both get on the same page about it, I'd love to review it again on the show and, and make Jake watch it. And then, uh, yeah, well, I've seen the first season, I think, and I'm just like you. I mean, I'm like that with a lot of shows, actually, where it's just there's no reason I just stopped watching it for whatever reason. It's not that I didn't like it or whatever, so I need to get back on that. Yeah, it's a exactly. good show. I'm I'm slowly working my way through season six, and I think season seven's going to be it. So um, it's winding down finally. Uh, but there, there's only so many post-apocalyptic adventures you can go on before the apocalypse actually happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is ending, right? Uh, yeah, see, I'm pretty sure season seven is going to be it. Okay. So right. I'm I'm curious to see what they do to finish out season six. It's it's taken a very interesting turn, um, but you know, it's it's just the the thing that has gotten to me is the character development. Everybody has grown so much, you know, above and beyond what they were in seasons one and two. Like at at one point they discover this new territory and they're about to step off of the transport. And, you know, one of the characters turns to one of the other and says, anybody got a better line than we're back? (laughs) (laughs) Like they literally go back to their pilot episode and make fun of themselves. That's how much they've grown. Wow. And so, yeah, I'm guessing it's been a while since anybody's seen season one, but you know, when they, when they do the pilot episode, they get off of the transport, all 100 student prisoners or whatever. And I think it's Marie Avergaropoulos' character. Um, she steps off and she's just like celebrating that they're on Earth again. And she's like, we're back, bitches! And then it played Radioactive by Imagine Dragons in the background. 
discovering this new utopian atmosphere, and we're just like, oh my gosh, how cheap. That season one, season one of that show is so good. It I is. A good show. I would love to just go back and, and read, because like the character development they have in that, and I don't want to spoil too much, but like how certain characters are totally just the antagonists when they first start out. Mm-hmm. And then it just morphs into their heroes at the end. And then they go back to being villains again. And just, it's this, the, the character development is so great. They're not, the writers of that show are never content to like have this character just be this kind of character forever. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, these characters are on a journey. They're going from point A to point B this season. And probably point C and D and E and back to A. Like, it's, it's insane what they've done. Um, and I've not actually been spoiled on the later seasons, so I guess I'm 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 thankful that I really don't know what happens, and I'm kind of really chomping to the bit to like find out because last I heard there was another apocalypse coming, and they had to get underground. I don't know what happened after that. So everyone dies. Dun, dun. Yes, uh... they were dead the whole time. <laughs> they were living in an AI. And then their consciousness awoke in a hellish hellscape, and they have no idea how to actually survive because they're running out of canned goods. I, oh boy! I don't know. I, <laughs> you never know. I, I'm not gonna spoil it for you guys. It's just one of those Appreciate things it. that sometimes you you gotta binge it, you gotta get caught up, or you just kind of slowly work your way through it, which is basically what you two guys did with Stranger Things. Yeah. As for me, when it dropped on July 4th, I had the day off the next day, and I just binged the whole thing in one night. Wow. Yeah, see, I I like stretching it out a bit. I like going, like, because I know, like, there's only so many episodes, and I want to watch the next one, but I also want to have more Stranger Things tomorrow night to watch, because I know I have to wait, like, two more years until the next season comes out. So, mm-hmm. like, I really like to string out. That's why I know this is a controversial topic among some people, but I love that The Mandalorian is not going to be dropping the full season all at once. I love that we're all going to get to we get one episode, yep. and then we all get to talk about it. We all get to experience it, and then we get to wait for the next episode. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, but, and, but with Stranger Things, it's like that's the whole – that's the culture around it. Like, you can't change it at this point. Like, the culture is everyone gets it, and then everyone just watches it as fast as possible. Some of us did that. Some of us did the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, uh, I took my time <laughs> with it. I, w- I was watching it with my family, and we were only able to do it on the weekends, so we kind of stretched it out over the course of, like, it's, a month and a half. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm just giving you a hard time. You know I have to. Well, but, I appreciate the patience, and I'm excited to talk about it finally. I mean, you don't know that I was patient, all right? You know, you have to thank the listeners for that. I'm just kidding. Okay, so let's get into it, guys. We're here. We finally made it. Stranger Things 3 is finally here. Um, I guess we'll start with initial impressions and... Zach. It's been here, fool. Uh, yes. It's been, it's been here. It's been I get here. it, I get it. Let's just pretend it just got here, all right? It's been here listening since the 4th of future. July, fool. What are you talking about? It did drop on the 4th of July. That's crazy to think. Wow. Yeah. wow. It has been around a while. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's almost October, fool, and we're just now getting around <laughs> to talking about it. 
Well, speaking of impatience, since you're really interested to actually talk about this, Zach, I'll, I'll let, let you have the floor. What are your initial thoughts on Stranger Things 3? I think the thing that, that stood out to me the most is the effort that the Duffer Brothers went to to continue to grow and develop the characters in new and creative ways. Uh, none of these characters ever stay the way that they are. If you look at who they were in season one, it's almost nothing like who they are in season three. And that is just, it's very natural. It's the way life happens. You're growing up. Interests change. Things change. People change. The only one who's really stayed the same is poor Will Byers, who just wants to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Like, <laughs> everybody else, the world is changing. You know, there's, there's hardly anything that's staying the same. And so, you know, relationships come and go. Trauma will just pop up at the most random times and end up affecting your decision-making. Uh, you could end up being a, a really hardcore conspiracy theorist, you know, thinking that everybody's out to get you because up until now, everybody's been out to get you. Everybody is growing and changing. And I really, really liked that about this season is you, you had awesome character development you had just freaking awesome character development and it was across the board there's hardly anybody that remains the same and even though i may not have been crazy about the way that those characters were developed and you know some of the different you know friendship group pairings that they selected for storytelling purposes that type of thing I might still have an issue with. Some of the omissions I might still have an issue with. But I love the fact that Mike and Eleven are growing together. I, I love the fact that, you know, Dustin has a long-distance relationship. Good for him. Uh, I love that you're getting to know a little bit more about Max outside of, you know, what what she was able to do with her limited screen time in season two, she's now a part of the team. Uh, I loved the, the dynamic between Hopper and Joyce and the adventures that they went on. You know, there's, there's been a lot of stuff that we've been speculating could be in the works. And some of that came to light and some of that didn't, but overall it made for a really fun, really interesting, really different season than what we've been used to on the lower budget, like season one, Stranger Things was more about the intensity, the implications. It's implied. This could be happening. This might be happening. And then it just kind of culminates in like the 10th episode where you, you see maybe one or two Demogorgons. Now that they've got a bigger budget, you see the production costs go up. You, you see things like the, um, what is it? What do they call them? The, the shadow? Uh, oh, the, uh, the, the mind flare? The mind, mind flare. Yeah, you, you see the physical embodiment of the Mind Flayer in all of his, you know, ratatious glory. Mm -hmm. And you it just kind of takes on almost a bit of a horror feel compared to the intense feeling that we had. You know, we've gone from the implied intensity of Jurassic Park to the straight-up horror of something like Halloween. And... Uh, you know, at times it worked really well, and at other times it didn't. It didn't make the show inconsistent, 
but I feel like maybe it did make the message a little inconsistent sometimes, but mm-hmm. we may get into that in a little bit. I feel like I'm rambling, so I'm going to shut up now. No big deal. Zach, I'm at... <laughs> Aha, yes! I get to talk again! You get to go again. Oh, brother. <laughs> It's like we spin the worst. The, it's like we spin this this wheel of rotation of who gets to talk. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <sighs> Just say the same thing again. Um, Jacob, Damon, what's your yes. thoughts on this season? Well, I got to watch it slower than usual. I didn't get to binge it all in one night like Zach. So I didn't get a full opinion in, in one night like I could have. Uh, I could have watched this twice, actually. But I decided to take my time, respect the, the time with the family. Uh, and I'm glad I did because it was it was cool. It was a nice slow burn. It was nice to check back in every week and um, and see what was going on next. It felt like real television, you know? And uh, if you have the patience, I highly recommend it. But binging is fun as well. But, man, this this season, I'll be darned if I don't think it's the best season of Stranger Things. Uh, I think season one was great. Season two, I thought was better than season one. But after seeing this, I'm like, you know what? I think for me it goes three, one, two. Um, for a lot of reasons. And this this season just seemed to balance the humor and the comedy, great character moments, uh, repeating what Zach said about the character development. There was so much of that. Um, it was it's really cool to see characters like Steve, like where we see him in season one versus where we see him now totally different character he had an arc you know and it's so satisfying and and great he's one of my favorite characters now when in season one he was just a jerk you know and he couldn't wait till he was off screen um but but this season introduced a lot of things that i think are very interesting and um and fun add new dimensions to the show um I don't know. There's just something about this season that made it feel more balanced overall than the previous seasons. And I'm not saying the previous seasons were bad at all. I'm just saying this one seemed to take what worked in the last two seasons and capitalized on that and made it even better. And it, it, every episode I, I kind of left off going, Oh man, what happens next? You know? And I would I would say that in the in the last two seasons, maybe there were a few episodes here and there where it was like, okay, well, I guess we'll watch the next episode now. And uh, and it definitely worked as an overall story in those seasons, but the 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 cliffhangers and the what the heck is happening really kind of I felt that here in this season for sure. And they did a lot of new things with the, the you know the mind flare and the the physical embodiment of that a lot of cool graphics going on with that the the animation on the monsters and the rats and the gross nastiness all coming together really cool i haven't really seen anything like that before um but yeah overall first impressions a plus knocked it out of the park Uh, i can't i can't wait to see what season four brings for sure but this one man this one was a good season of television yeah, I I think I agree with a lot of what you guys have been saying that I think this is this could be my favorite season of mm-hmm. the show so far. It was really strong. I think it was really well paced. I think the what they did with the characters, 
was really interesting. I'm not saying that I loved everything. I do have a few criticisms, stuff that, and being that I've had a little time to think about this, I've kind of refined some of my thoughts, so I'll try to get into this a little bit later, but like, I think overall, I think they did a really good job of bringing something new to the table, because I think it would be really hard, but I don't know what they had planned. I don't know if they had anything planned after season one. Season one ended pretty definitively. Like, Mm -hmm. you had seemingly Eleven died, you know, and the Demogorgon was destroyed. And it seemed like that was a pretty definitive ending, that, you know, it was over, whatever. Obviously, season two proved that thing, but that was doing kind of the sequel thing, which is explaining that, oh, well, really, it isn't over, and all this kind of stuff, and Eleven's actually alive, and all this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, just stuff that happens. So I think... Season two was kind of a little less strong, I think, than season one. I think season three kind of brought it back, at least for me, in regards to, like, the strength of it and going forward and really trying to do something different and unique and not trying to ride the coattails of season one, but taking the established universe and these characters and trying to go forward and also introducing a lot of great new characters and just doing a lot of interesting stuff that I think was really well done. Like I said, not without its its criticisms or its its faults. But I think overall a pretty strong outing. I think this is this whole series has been really strong and really consistent. And that's the thing that I really I think other series we were just talking about <laughs> the CW shows earlier. I'm sorry, but those shows are not that consistent. They just do the same thing over and over again, and sometimes it doesn't work. And this show found a way to reinvent itself and still keep up the quality. And as you said, the special effects are amazing. The acting's amazing. Some of the best acting anywhere in movies, TV, whatever. Like, Dockery Montgomery, however you pronounce his name, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, He deserves a freaking Emmy or an Oscar or whatever. Right. Um, Same for a bunch of other guys. And, and girls in this one. So, yeah, I'm really, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I might even watch it again someday. But yeah, heck yeah, um, yeah. Um, where do we want to go next? There's a lot of things to talk about, and so little time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but is there anything like on the top of your head that you want to blurt out right now? Maybe we'll get the conversation going here. Uh, Russians. And also, also, uh, Alexi was so great, and so was Terminator guy. (laughs) He was awesome too. I love, I love how they really seem to lean into the '80s references even more with this one. You had Terminator guy, which was he was freaking Arnold. He was freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mm -hmm. just totally in the way he acted, the way he talked. The way he dressed, everything was Terminator, and I kind of like that. I really, I really dug that they just kind of embraced this whole like we're doing an homage to Terminator, and this is exactly it's so on the nose, um, and it made and it kind of embraced the whole '80s feel of this, which I really, really liked. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there were a couple angles of this guy that I thought it definitely was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but yeah, he pulled that off great and he felt like in a presence, you know, like a dangerous presence, that whole, uh, scene in the house when Hopper and, 
uh, Joyce are looking for, I forget what they're looking for. I think they might, I, I forget, but they, they're in this house and they're, they go down in the basement and all those Russians are there and then they go back up and, uh, I, I forget where everybody was specifically, but he starts shooting the Arnold Schwarzenegger guy was starts shooting <laughs> with a shotgun and he starts shooting at him when they're driving down, down the, the way and Hopper's like drive and Joyce couldn't f- f- figure out how to uh, start the car or something like that. Yeah, Cause uh, yeah, he, he decided, I guess it was a good idea to handcuff himself to, Alexi, so he couldn't drive. Yeah, but that that whole yeah, exactly that whole scene though reminded me of like a mashup between something that you'd see in Indiana Jones, where like they're walking into a basement and all of a sudden there's a bunch of Nazis or something like that, and then when they're driving away, it kind of reminded me of Jurassic Park when they're driving away from the T Rex. But um, yes, yeah, I don't know. That, lots yeah, of Hopper. Hopper is definitely like an amalgamation of like. Indiana Jones, and especially this season, Magnum P.I. Exactly, yeah. And I got to say, Hopper, I lo- I've i always loved Hopper. He's always been my favorite character since the beginning, but he's the best in this season, I think. I, in that first episode, he had me laughing so hard. I could not stop laughing. Just just everything he was doing and saying, so good. Uh, you could tell David Harbour has really uh, become comfortable with the character, and it's like that he is uh, Hopper, you know, and um, everything between him and Carrie Elwes as the uh, mayor, which I thought was interesting. He was a really uh-huh. s- real scumbag, you know, and any interaction they had was great. Uh, yeah, that whole scene in the mayor's office when they're talking to each other and it mm-hmm. escalates pretty quickly was great. Yeah, um, Hopper just does not give a bleep. He really does not. He No, he doesn't. But I, he was and... definitely a high point for me in this season. Yeah, I have some issues with his overall characterization and his development, mm-hmm. but okay. as, like, a character in this season, like, for for example, I'll try to briefly go over, because I know a lot of people have kind of extensively talked about this, but I think some of the development that Tom, that, that Hopper had in previous seasons seemed to kind of vanish with this season, mm. if you know what I mean. Like, you know, in, in regards to, like, something that really surprised me was the fact that he was so dismissive of Joyce mm-hmm. and her like, oh, look, there's stuff going on here. Like, obviously, my, my Magnus aren't – and he was – him just kind of going, oh, you're crazy, whatever. Like, his whole arc for the past two seasons is like understanding that she's not crazy. Like, right. her hunches are almost always correct mm-hmm. in regard to this weird stuff happening. So it was really weird to see – for me to like – see him just totally be like oh you're crazy whatever and i thought that was a little out of character for him but um also i mean he's supposed to be an asshole and he really is that's his shtick in this whole season is he is an absolute asshole to everyone Mm -hmm. and he's dealing with a lot of stuff too you know just mentally and and mental health wise and emotionally and all that stuff so i I think I think that maybe part of it is I think he's gone through so much and has already gone through stuff like with the loss of his daughter that some of this may be like a suppression technique where he just wants things to go back to normal. So he just imagines that things are going back to normal. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think his outburst towards specifically Joyce is I think 
him going, no, 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 things are normal now. You need to stop things. You're paranoid. Th that's not going to happen again. And obviously, that's not the case. I think that's what I think that's the logic that at least the character is trying to show is that he wants to move on. Like everybody kind of wants to move on, and they can't move on because they keep getting wrapped up in these things. But he's kind of this really kind of powerful, very you know outperforming voice in this show that is really kind of just fed up with the whole situation of keep getting drawn into this whole thing and and think keeps getting more ridiculous as it goes when there's Russians involved and all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and ask the question. Do we think Hopper survived? Spoiler alert, by the way, for those who <laughs> haven't. Yeah, seriously. Zach? It's been like three months. Give me a break. Um, oh, but... oh, so now you can use the it's been three months excuse. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally a hypocrite like that. Um, <laughs> answer the damn question. Did he survive? Ooh. <laughs> Um, I, I'm going to say that I, I don't think that's even Hopper who they're talking about. Whoa. The American. Mm. All it says is the American. And here, here's, here's my theory on it. As we know from season two, there are other subjects from Hawkins lab that have been spread out across the States. Eleven met up with one of them in Pittsburgh. And that was like this weird sub storyline that happened for like one episode and then nothing came of it. Um, but there are others out there. And part of the reason that the Russians even built a base in Hawkins to begin with is because of the connection and the presence that it has to the upside down. The only way that they would be able to trace things back to the lab would be from the dimensional activity of course but also having something that would allow them to trace the origins and the most tangible example they have of being able to trace the origins isn't from data isn't from publicity because a lot of this stuff got covered up it's from the people who experienced it i would like to think that one of the 11 one of the 13 however many that got out one of those test subjects that got got out of Hawkins' lab ended up a prisoner of the Russians. Mm, yeah. So I don't think I don't I don't even think Hopper is in Russia. If he's alive, he's going to be somewhere else. And this American that they're alluding to in the Russian holding cell is one of the chosen or whatever you want to call them. And the way that you end up defeating the uh, Mind Flayer or the Demogorgon or whatever you want to call them once and for all is by assembling all of those subjects or as many of them as you can. So to do an Avengers-style you know, coalition, you've got to have Eleven, you've got to have the girl from Pittsburgh, I forget her name, and you've got to have others. So I'm thinking you're going to be like searching for at least one more in next season. And then this one's also going to play a factor as well. And that'll give you at least four uh, chosen ones to work with to help defeat the big boss in next season. That's a very good point. And being that 
11 ends this season without her powers, I would think the next thing she would do is probably reach out to those other powered people. Yeah. And in see order, what they're experiencing. Right. See if they're experiencing anything and then try and find a way to like regather, reharness those capabilities. Yeah. Because obviously, whatever's going on probably isn't over. It's probably going to come back in some way. And they're not just going to need 11. Because 11 barely, like, she really didn't even defeat this one this time. Like, oh. she kind of held him off the entire time. And then they were able to close the gate. And then. They threw a bunch of bombs at him, but like you know, ultimately, you know, it's it's gonna be interesting to see like where she goes after this and what's her thing. But uh, Jake, I want to get your thoughts on this. Hopper, dead or alive? I definitely think he's alive. They're not gonna kill off Hopper. He's one of the fan favorites, you know. And I think if they wanted us to know he was dead, they would have shown it, you know, like the other Russians. They show getting blown apart by the shockwave um but hopper we don't we don't see what happens to him and i think that's intentional so uh i don't have a big theory like zach does on it but i think that it's simple they they took him you know and i think in the next season they're going to show what happens to him in that scene uh it could be interesting uh, but i could be completely wrong and zach could be completely right yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, it could it could it could be like everyone's assuming he's the American in the cell. Yeah. Could be that he's alive and he's not. He could be that he's trapped in the upside down. Um and he maybe, you know, you you catch up with him, you know, a year later and he's had to live in that hellhole for a while. Um and he's going to come out like a different person. I I think if he was alive, it would work. I think there's enough setup there. There's enough like subtext you can take that. But at the same time, I almost don't want him to be alive. Mm -hmm. I almost think like you had a good ending with him. You have that great scene at the end where L le reads the letter and it kind of you know works as this eulogy for him. I think I don't know. I'm just I I like it. I I I I'm not. I'm not saying like across the board. I don't like the idea of characters coming back at certain points, you know. And you seemingly someone dies and they come back. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think there's. I I like it when a character has a good ending. Mm -hmm. Like you know, sometimes we don't want characters to die, but at the same time, it's good when a character has a good ending. It's over. It's done with. We we say goodbye to them and it's over and we move on with other characters. I think there's something about. And I think once you kill off a character, quote unquote, kill off a character, and then you give them a good ending, and then you bring them back, like what do you do with them now? You've got to be able. If you kill them off again, you have to top that. And how do you do that? So I think with the ending that we got, I think just leave him dead and and let them move on. And you've already got enough characters already to deal with. Um, I think it would just complicate things. So I think he could be alive. I think he could be the American. I think he could be in the upside down. But I think ultimately he probably should just stay dead. How dare you? I know. I know. I mean, he was a jerk, though. I mean, he was. He kind of deserved it. I, I'm i going to walk off this podcast right now. Hot takes. Hot takes, ladies and Jake, Jake has logged off for a second time tonight. Yep. Jake has logged <laughs> off. Oh, my goodness. I'm a hopper right. stand, man. Hopper stand. Add that to your Twitter bio or whatever. <laughs> um, 
But um, okay, so we we talked about Hopper. We 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 determined if he's dead or alive. We really don't know. Um, what are some of the other characters you guys liked? What were some of the other standouts? Because I I got a few. If you guys don't. Well, I was gonna like I mentioned before, Steve. I think was probably my second favorite character in in this. Um, it's been really cool to see his character arc since season one. You know, season one he was a jerk. Now, not so much. You know, he's softened up a little bit. He's kind of becoming friends with these kids. He's shared experiences, like scary experiences in the in the strange and you know, hence the name Stranger Things. Um, but he's kind of in the club now, you know, and and it's really cool to see him and his new friend Robin, I think that's her name, uh, right. them working at this Scoops Ahoy place. Uh, which, by the way, they wear these costumes the entire season, and it's wonderful. Um, but he's kind of developed this friendship with Dustin, kind of beginning with season two and into this. It, it uh, strengthens. Um, but, yeah, he's just a really cool guy now, and he's he's somebody that you'd want on your team, you know? Uh, he was really funny, good comedic relief, but also... I think he he added a lot to that team of people at the mall, you know, uh, and I don't know. He was just he he was one of those characters that I was really excited to see more scenes with him in it. You know, like when he was off screen, I was like, oh, I can't wait till till we go back to them. Uh, so, yeah, Steve was definitely a highlight for me. I, I also agree that Steve and Robin were yes, yeah. two of my favorite characters of the season. I, sh- I should say both of them. so great. Their dynamic and what they set up with them, too. And the fact – I also love the fact that they, they, they ended up not being romantic. Right. Not being romantically right. involved. I like kind they of, hinted at it. the opposite. <laughs> yeah, totally the opposite. That's the thing nowadays. You put a guy and a girl on screen together, oh, they got to kiss. They got to they gotta fall in love. I love it when they subvert it. I love they go, no, we're not doing that. They can just be friends, yeah. and that's okay because people in real life, <laughs> girls and guys, are friends. They don't have to kiss. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to do that. So why not? We can't. Why can't we do that in fiction more? You know. So I'm glad that they went that direction. That you know, they're just they're just buddies, and they're great friends. And I, I they're oh man. The dynamic they have is so great, and now they give each other crap the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And Steve just turns more and more into a dork um, the entire thing. And his character arc, speaking of character growth, is amazing, continues to be amazing. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true because if you take a look at season one, Steve, he wouldn't want anything to do with kids younger than him. Nope. And season three, Steve that's basically all he's doing you know he's, he's that's the only with, people he actually connects with is the younger kids he he interacts with dustin he interacts with erica he's working with robin you know for, for the most part they're going on this adventure just the four of them and so like half of the squad that he's working with this season is younger than him and so not only are his paternal instincts kind of kicking in but you're also realizing that you know friendship doesn't have to fit into these very particular boundaries that everybody tries to set up mm-hmm. like you you can you can work as a team with people that are younger than you people that are older than you as long as you find a way to make it work and 
they found a way to make it work. They found their way into a secret Russian base that was built underneath a shopping mall, for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that speaks volumes to their, their teamwork and their friendship that they were able to go on an adventure like that. Yeah, and I also appreciate just just about the mall, about taking taking the mall concept, which is a very 80s thing, which is something that people are nostalgic for because there's no malls anymore, if you've noticed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, malls are very much dying, at least in this country. Um, yeah, so mostly like it, outlet centers and stuff now. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like the only – like. I literally there's a mall near me that was completely torn down because it was just being unused. Like, so it's sad. It so really is sad. You know what alternatives malls around here are doing? Uh huh. What? They are renting out multiple spaces to aquariums. 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 There are two of them in the Dallas Fort Worth area that are malls that had been looking for something to kind of revamp and revitalize. And something that's like the size of a Dillard's, you know, those things that can be like a really, really big, expansive area. It got mm-hmm. converted from a retail store oh. into an aquarium. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's interesting because uh, Sharon, my wife and I, we were on a road trip not too long ago. We decided to stop in Scranton, Pennsylvania, you know, where the office takes place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And we went to the mall, and I we we found an aquarium at the mall, and it was the first time I had ever seen anything like that. But it was just like how you described Zach. It was like a retail store that was converted into an aquarium, and it was really cool. And I think that they should definitely do more more of those. Yeah, that is incredible. It, it's a, it's a really great way to increase foot traffic because not only are you using up unused space but you're also helping conservation efforts at the same time. As long as the facility, you know, is equipped with the with the right waterworks and the right electricity to be able to power the stuff that you need, like it had different mini exhibits and I think one of the areas had like a walk through aviary where you could like feed and pet these canaries and stuff. Mm. And uh there's one in Irving which is a Dallas suburb kind of north of here. And it has a shark exhibit with a tunnel that you can walk through and the sharks swim over your head. Wow. So it's not like it's not like a a cheesy, cheap petting zoo type of thing. Like, yeah, you're probably paying about 15 bucks a head to go to these smaller ones because you're kind of like, you know, supporting small business kind of thing. But it's it was actually really high quality. And I, I enjoyed what I saw. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. But th- so that's... Now now I'm thinking of how I met your mother. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go to the mall today. Oh, oh gosh. Um but back to my point. Back to malls and the demise of malls and the fact is that malls are now nostalgic. People are nostalgic for malls because they really most people probably don't have access to a mall anymore. Um, eh, so you've seen one shopping center, you've seen them all. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that was a good one. I caught that. <laughs> Brother, uh, you've seen them all. Um, yeah. <laughs> I no, I don't know what to do with him sometimes. <laughs> anyway, anyway, 
malls are malls are cool now. Malls are nostalgic, and the fact that they 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 capitalize on that by bringing in this very eighties looking mall. I don't even know where this was shot. Like it looked like a whole real mall. Maybe they took over an old mall or something like that. But it looked so real. good. Sure, it was on location somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked looked real, and so that was really cool. And then to top it all off by saying, oh yeah, by the way, the basement is full of Soviets. Yeah. Like the the insanity of this and the fact that the writers just decided to do this and made it work. Like it absolutely works. It absolutely is thing and it fits with the whole thing with you know, Russians, especially in the eighties, were were a favorite uh villain for movies and were also, you know, yeah, the Cold War was going on. They were they were real life villains, at least to at least to Americans. So, you know, it it, mm-hmm. it made sense. So I, I think just tying it all in, it really is this kind of this uh, crazy '80s sandwich of ideas, quite literally, that is so good, including the, you know the Scoops Ahoy, and every time I go to Baskin Robbins now, there's Scoops Ahoy stuff, and they've completely capitalized on that. I just love it. I love the, what they did with this. Well, so to to follow up on what you were saying earlier, it is an actual location. Uh, they shot on location. At the now closed Gwinnett Place Mall in Duluth, Georgia. Oh, I for- yeah, I remember. I remember they do a lot of shooting in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I was going to suggest that it was up there somewhere. I used to live there, by the way, so I was born up there. So I'm I'm kind of familiar with the place. Um, I, I may have even been to that mall. I'm gonna have to look that up. I bet I've been to that mall. Holy crap! I, I'm just having a tangent here. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, that's really cool. It's now closed. That's uh. That's 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 sad, but at the same time, gets new life in the show. Yeah, got a, got got some big time popularity with a show like this. Uh, you know, the other thing that uh, we have not mentioned yet is that um, you know, con- c- continuing with this uh, '80s nostalgia that we're talking about with with you know shopping malls and didn't they have like a county fair or something at some point during this? Yeah, they had like their whole Fourth of July was all out with like, like a, a fair, big old celebration. Like, it was a, it was a, it was a ploy by it was a ploy by the mayor to kind of like get people distracted from him being an, an asshole, um, and a you know traitor basically, <laughs> turning it into, and uh, giving them a whole festival. I mean, that's that's basically all local politics is is you know people start to find out that you're an ass, and so you do something to distract them from that and make them forget it for a little while, just long enough for you to get reelected. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of this this Gwinnett Place Mall. Yeah, it looks like the real thing. Look, as far as you can tell, all of the stuff is the same from the film. Maybe they should just open this up. It should be a, a Stranger Things museum. I'd be down for that. Yeah, you, that would be awesome. Let you reenact. Uh, certain scenes or something, or like a like because... a like a, like a walkthrough simulation that makes you feel like you're on the adventure with them. Oh man, like because the other alternative is this mall's probably going to end up getting torn down, like every other mall in the country, and that would be a freaking tragedy. tragedy. Well, it would just only reinforce the nostalgic nature of what they're doing, though, I suppose. Yeah, but then yeah. bring it back, bring it back, that, save Gwinnett Place Mall, like like Back to the Future, save them all. Hey, if you're gonna <laughs> do that, then uh, bring back um, Six Flags New Orleans so that we can do a Jurassic World reenactment. Oh yeah, seriously, <laughs> I just I just passed by that the other day. It's sad. It's like a ghost town, go. isn't it? It just let I don't I would think I mean it's been 
15 years close to it since Hurricane Katrina that basically it, it just it just put water in it, which is bad enough. Like, I don't think it got a huge amount of damage other than the water. And Six Flags was like, whatever, we're not going to invest money to fix it. And they just left it. So it's just you you pass by it. You can see it from the interstate. And it's just this ghostly image of a of an old amusement park. Shoot, man. I want to see this now. You'll get a chance to see it. Maybe. 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 Oh, man. What is You this? know what I'm talking about. What on earth is this? What? 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 There's like entire roller coasters and Ferris wheels and merry-go-rounds and stuff. And it's just, it's just, I mean, it's a little overgrown maybe, but oh my gosh. I remember wow. going to this place. And for for those who are unfamiliar, just go to Google and, and search Six Flags New Orleans. It originally started off as a place called Jazzland, which was this kind of, which was obviously playing off of New Orleans and all this kind of stuff. And I went there. I went there with my family. I barely remember it, but I remember going there. And it was really cool. And then at some point later, Six Flags bought it out and turned it into Six Flags over New Orleans. And then it just, Katrina came along and, and did what it did to the Gulf Coast. And they just left it. And now it's this post-apocalyptic like wasteland that you see. It's sad. It really is sad because roller coasters and, and as you see, merrier grounds and all this stuff just left to rust. Wow. So there's there. like, there there is a looping roller coaster on location there called the Jester. Uh-huh. And it's located in the Mardi Gras section. And it was relocated from Six Flags Fiesta, Texas in San Antonio, where it had been called Joker's Revenge. And see, the funny thing is, like, if they rebuilt this thing, people would go to it. There's no amusement parks anywhere around here. Mm-hmm. Nowhere. Like, I think over maybe, Texas, maybe. I th- yeah, Six Flags is over Texas or Disney World, basically. <laughs> that's that's your that's your closest you get to like a general amusement park. Man, so that's like, so weird because Six Flags took over the lease in 2002, and then Katrina happened in 2005. So Six mm-hmm. Flags New Orleans literally lasted three years so so sad maybe this will be where uh, stranger things four is dude okay so that's the thing is location for next season that is that that's something that's going to be interesting because with certain characters futures uncertain and other characters moving out of hawkins you know, it's kind of interesting to think about what you might be doing next season, where you might be doing it. You know, is it going to be limited to Hawkins, or are we going to have a broader scope now, I think? I have a feeling the next season is going to be just, it's been a year or two, and they haven't seen each other in a while, and it's the buyers coming to visit everyone back in Hawkins again. Um, I hope it isn't that predictable. It'd be neat if, like... They all got together and went to see them at wherever their new house is. And uh, maybe, maybe it's New Orleans. And maybe they go the upside down and then they end up in this, like, this could, like, this could stand in for, like, an amusement park in the upside down. How cool would that be? Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, you you had the upside down uh, arcade in season two that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. An upside down amusement park, that would be 
Ooh, that would be really intimidating. Really cool. Um, oh. Can we talk about Jonathan and Nancy for a few minutes here? Yes. Let's absolutely do that before we run out of time because they were great. They were, and they, they acted like actual investigative journalists. And I think that's one of the things I was most proud of them for was – you know, the as a journalism major, I'm sitting here watching this hyper local news page. This is this, this news group just completely screwing up and screwing around and, you know, not doing their jobs, not following through on the story. And Nancy was literally willing to risk everything. And, you know, Jonathan wanted to be supportive, but also wanted a job, you know, and I've kind of been in both places where it's like, yeah. It might be worth looking into this, but is it really worth losing my income? You know, like where where do you draw that personal line? And, you know, it was it was a real test of their relationship. It was a real test of their character. Um, and they were facing danger several times over, uh, including, you know, when they went to the to the old mill, when they went to the hospital. You know, there were there were several instances where they were facing grave danger. And they found ways to overcome it. And I was I was really proud of them for that. But, you know, again, going back to this idea of, of character development, who they were in season one versus who they are in season three, there was a little bit of tension and maybe some interest between Nancy and Jonathan in season one. But Nancy stuck with uh, Steve and then they ended up together in season two. And now it's like they're almost living together in season three or something like stuff's happening kind of fast. But, you know, you're young, you're in love, whatever. Um, but it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, what that dynamic looks like now and what it could look like a season from now. They've got really good character chemistry. They've solved a couple of different mysteries now. So, you know, who knows? They could end up becoming PIs or something for all I care. Um, but yeah. it, would, it would be interesting to see what happens next with these guys because this season was really all about their growth and now that we know that they've grown where do they go from here yeah that's the thing it's funny like they got so close this season together that it almost felt weird when they had to split up in the end like when they moved because like he almost like assumed that like Jonathan it was old enough that he would just like would stay in Hawkins with her or she might go with him. Like, you know, and it was kind of weird. And I, and I understand my, there's some other factors that, you know, he kind of, I think he's kind of helping support his mom and stuff like that. So obviously he can't stay behind, but they started as kind of like, Oh, we're, will there, won't they? And then they went all in this season and I like their dynamic. I like what they did with the characters and like what they got, had to put up with, in regards to just having to deal with a bunch of a-holes in an office, and uh, Nancy especially. And then I liked how Jonathan did have some blind spots. He wasn't, like, totally the good guy the entire time, that he was kind of giving her a hard time at certain points, and she was giving him, him a hard time, and it made for some really good drama between them. Drama, but not necessarily enough drama to think that they'd ever break up. It was the type of drama that you would expect couples to have, like a couple's quarrel or something like that. But never the types of explosive stuff like what Nancy and Steve had in season two, where she just gets drunk and outright says, this is bullshit. <laughs> you know, 
they they never they never get to that point in in this with with the kind of quarrels that they have the kind of spats that they have it's always with the intent to try and find ways to do what's right and be supportive while also you know pushing the limit as far as they're willing to go um in terms of their work in terms of their town in terms of their relationship they were always pushing the envelope but not quite tearing it and i respected that yeah jake what did what did you think of uh nancy and jonathan their whole their whole thing it was interesting i think i think it was probably the weakest plot thread of the whole show but it was still nice to follow them um it the whole thing where she's working at the paper as an intern oh well i guess they're both working at the paper he's doing photography and the running joke of her walking in on him in the the dark room was funny um but then you got jake Busey, who's one of the head guys there um but they're kind of on their own like a little mystery thing you know they're trying to crack the case of what the heck is going on and i think that was a it, it was the weakest thread i think but it was also an interesting thread to follow it wasn't like boring or anything like that uh, i just think we we might spend the least amount of time with them um but yeah it was really cool seeing them together i, I it was cool seeing them pick up the different clues and and following the breadcrumb trail you know and and uh a lot of creepy moments with them with the rats and with with uh the like <laughs> the mind flare when it takes over those two guys from the paper, the boss guy. The whole hospital scene is. It was incredible. Amazing. I love it. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Remember when they both of them die and then they kind of like come together to make that creature. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, but yeah. One of the one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life, but also like one of the best like. Just special effects wise, everything was just. It's one of those things where you're watching it and you're kind of cringing. You're like, oh, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't watch. And then you're also like, oh, but I can't look away. Especially the part where it gets thrown out the window and then they're watching it go in the storm drain. And then it, it, there's always like, it leaves parts of itself behind. And like it goes in the drain, and like there's this bone just kind of sits on top of it, mm-hmm. and you're like, it just hammers home the fact that like it just chewed up this person like in a blender and made itself out of it. It's so disgusting. Yep. I'm it's still awesome. I'm, I'm still lost on how the science behind that works, but uh, that's the that's the fiction part of science fiction, I suppose. Right. Right. <laughs> there's not a lot of not a lot of uh, real world science in here unfortunately or fortunately fortunately i really don't you know the real world is kind of boring you know i i prefer i mean the whole reason i watch stuff like stranger things is for the escapism i don't want it to be super realistic exactly yeah of course of course but it did it did it did make me cringe sometimes like especially when the rats exploded and stuff like this is not a show where you want to like sit down with your family and have an evening meal together while watching it Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, you do not. It's like you see the rat explode, and you're like, "And we're done with the spaghetti now." 
Yeah, funnily enough, most of the times we sat down to watch this as a family, we were eating dinner, so we had a lot of those oh, moments geez. where it was like, oh, man, that's disgusting. Oh, oh my God. Nope, nope, nope. See, that's enough to make me lose yeah. my appetite. That's enough to make yeah. me lose <laughs> the appetite of the dinner I had two hours ago. Yeah, oh, yeah. what's that thing they say on the internet? Oof, oof. oof. That's a m- mega oof. A oof. Him big mad. <laughs> I don't... I don't understand millennial jargon. Why is that a thing? I don't either. It's, uh, yeah, it's fun. Eat. It's fun. Just, just roll with it. Drips on fire, yo. What does that even mean? <laughs> I thought your drip was your car, and now it's your outfit. Can you make up your damn mind? Why don't we just slap? Okay. Why don't we just slap some jeans on the hood of a car, call it a meme, and call it a day? <laughs> Another set of characters that I really, really loved, and I, I, I suspect you guys loved too, Dustin and Erica. My goodness. You can't I spell, love these two. You can't spell America without Erica. Can I just the say... nerds. Can I just say that Erica was probably the most annoying character I've ever seen. <laughs> I just, I could not stand her after a while. She was probably my least really? favorite character. But I, I think the dynamic worked between the two. But whenever she talked, I was like, oh my gosh, just stop being such an annoying kid. <laughs> but I, I know she, that's what they were supposed to go, right, what they were going right. for. So, I, I like that. They kind of took her down a peg. Like Dustin was obviously ignored, mm-hmm. you know, annoyed by her. I thought I liked the whole idea that he finally just has it out with her, and it's like, look, you're calling us nerds. You're 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 into My Little Pony. You're just as much a nerd as we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but I think I think that lends a testament to, you know, her negotiation tactics and the way that she's like advocating for herself and you know, kind of going through everybody else's plans and, like, dissecting them. The only reason she's got that much sass is because she's using it as a cover for how well she thinks things through. Right. And so, like, when she's talking about, um, what is it, this is this is America, supply and demand, I've got something, you want something, so, you know, I want free ice cream, and I'm talking for life. You know, she she's she is trying to get what she wants, but she's also recognizing this is this is an opportunity, and uh, and I'm gonna take it. Yeah, yeah. I love when he when she's talking to what's his name later, and uh, she's just like talking, and we're at that point we're used to her just like just ripping into everyone, and then uh, what's his name comes on like he's like why is this four year old talking to me? <laughs> like I'm ten, you bald. Bat- <laughs> yeah when you start like assembling people and like putting them together it's interesting to see how their dynamics play off of each other because somebody like murray doesn't really have time for this kind of stuff but somebody yeah. like dustin's actually going to try and figure out why somebody behaves the way that they do and that's how he was able to figure out that she was a nerd you know the the bringing people back together was probably one of my favorite elements of the season because it's like, oh my gosh, the, the mystery solving that, that Nancy and Jonathan have been doing has led them to this point. The, in, the investigative, you know, um, code breaking and exploring that, you know, Steve and Robin have done has led them to this point. 
you know, uh, Mike and Eleven and Max and, you know, all of them, they've been going through this other storyline over here and it's eventually led them back here. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, okay, I see everything kind of starting to grow and develop now. And now that we have all of these people in the same place, let's see what we can do with the combined forces. Mm -hmm. I think that's the ultimate strength of this show that's that established in season one has, car has carried on is the fact that it's not just like, oh, we're focusing on these characters and they're doing this thing and they're trying to figure out this. It's we're focusing on these characters and these characters and these characters and these characters and they're all working towards the same goal, but they're approaching it from different angles and it's all about them not talking to each other for the lengths of several episodes, but getting different clues, and you as an audience member getting all the clues, but they don't, and then them ultimately coming in the, you know, the next to last episode and getting together and going, oh, I heard this, oh, I heard this, okay, now we had this figured out, now we can actually address the problem. Um, but separately, they really, you know, and, and how they intersect, and I think I also like the dynamics of, I liked Dustin with Erica and Robin and uh, Steve, um, I like that that whole crew, but then I, I think the character dynamics pretty well done in this one. That you know you you got some you got some expected ones like Steve and Dustin like that's that that's classic. You could you couldn't do the season without it. But at the same time, there there's some other ones and I, I personally I loved Erica from just her brief moments that she got in the past season. So I love that they kind of promoted her to season or series regular and she got a bigger role this time. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, somebody's gonna enjoy it. <laughs> well, Jake, let's let's talk about one of your favorite characters. Then you touched on him a little while ago, and I want to get your your more fuller thoughts on uh, on a new character, one that proved to be very interesting along the way and became the source of a lot of memes on Facebook, mm. and that would be Hopper's prisoner turned informant alexi yeah alexi i did not know what to expect from alexi i knew something was gonna happen because i heard a bunch of people talking about how it was ironic that he was uh, how david harbour was playing somebody a russian specifically named alexi in black widow coming out soon um and i was like oh no what's gonna happen and I was fully prepared to hate this guy because he's a Russian, you know, and I, I didn't know what was what was going to go down. But I was very pleased to uh, see and find that he was a very likable, lovable character um, that I started rooting for pretty quickly. And I loved his dynamic with Hopper. And, you know, he's just he he's just a nice guy, you know, he. he caves pretty easily uh with with the information you know all he wants is a smoothie or a slushy or whatever a all he slurpy, wants damn it slurpy whatever a step uh, 11 slurpy right a slurpy and he just he wants to be free from all this and he almost gets his freedom at the end you know i, I loved seeing his innocence at the fair and he's just enjoying life you know and uh and his demise at the hands of Arnold Schwarzenegger guy oh, is pretty geez. darn sad. Well, I... 
using a silencer. Right. Yep. Like he went pretty hardcore with that. Yeah. But overall, man, Alexi, what a great character and one of my favorite parts of the show. That that was a bummer. Like that was a real bummer. Not one you were expecting. Like not right. one you were, you weren't expecting like at the beginning of the season to feel something for this guy when he died. And uh, it was just the, the high point of him coming so far, and then he's really enjoying himself. He's got his Woody Woodpecker. He's got his slushies. <laughs> and then he got, oh, jeez. I'm not over him yet, obviously. No, but, yeah, I loved him. I mean, losing losing somebody that you actually get attached to is is one of the one of the hardest things that you have with any TV show is you, you get emotionally invested in somebody. And then you're just like, oh, 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 like he just <laughs> like I got I got upset by by the time that he, he did get killed off, because I think the thing that really got to me was the face off that he had with Hopper. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're using Murray as a translator, but for the most part, the interaction is happening between the two of them. And at one point, Hopper literally gives him his keys Yep. He's just like, here, bitch, go. I love that. See, I love go. That. Just see what happens. Go. Like, just try it and see what happens when you get out there. You're going to get picked up by the FBI or you're going to get killed by your own people for being a turncoat. You have nowhere to run but me. But he didn't say that. All he did was give him his keys and Alexi had to figure it out for himself. And when he did... He was like, oh, okay. And that's when they like started <laughs> working together again and stuff. And it, it, it just – it made for an even more interesting dynamic than there already was because not only are you looking at what's going on between Hopper and Joyce, but now you're looking at a budding friendship between Murray and Alexi as well. Yeah, you know that mm-hmm. that was that was another thing that I really appreciated was Murray wasn't just a, a bit character, he actually had a role to play as a Russian translator and as a friend to Alexei and as somebody that's helping them solve these mysteries and infiltrate the base and you know he he played a much bigger role and a much more important role and did his job well. Props to Murray. Murray Murray's great. Murray, I, I really loved how they've. They utilized his character even more. Oh yeah, now in this one, like he was just kind of a that bit role and the guy they went to see that one time, you know, in a couple seasons. But uh, yeah, he and, and his whole just outlook on like just get it over with. Yeah, you know, you're in love. Just, just and the whole the whole thing when they're in the back of the car, they like they need to have sex, <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're both like laughing, and they can't understand what they're saying because they're speaking in Russian. They're just laughing the entire time. Oh man, so good. Yeah, that was one of my favorite moments. Well, there's there's a, there's a few more uh, moments that we uh, should talk about, but let's go to a commercial break real quick while we're in between subjects. Right. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Dr. Montgomery and the role that he played and just how this was kind of like his breakout performance, if you will, this season. Uh, we might talk about the defeat of the Mind Flayer and how they kind of closed out this season and uh, then maybe some final thoughts and speculation for next season whenever that comes out. 
All that is still to come. Stay tuned. You're listening to the IPC podcast discussing Stranger Things 3. We'll be right back. PC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IBC sent you. Uptown got its hustlers. The Bowery got its bumps. 42nd Street got Big Jim Walker. He pulls shooting son of a gun. Yeah, he's big and dumb as a man can't come. But he's stronger than a country house. And when the bad folks all get together at night, you know they all call Big Jim Ball just because. And they say you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, you don't pull a mask off that old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Jim. I don't Wrapping up our discussion of Stranger Things 3, it's, it's, it's really tough to say that because we've just got so many different thoughts and so many different things that we could talk about from this series, um, but I think one of the biggest things that is worth talking about would be uh, Dr. Montgomery as Billy, uh, slash the Mind Flayer, slash whatever you want to call him, because he's somewhat possessed during most of this season. But he also has moments where he's just kind of just shining. I don't even know if there's any other word to describe this this role that he plays. It's just it's so many elements of it are so brilliant that I I don't even know where to begin. Guys, thoughts on Dr. Montgomery? He was really awesome. You know, he, he had to basically act like he was possessed by the mind flare this whole time and he did a fantastic job of it you're always wondering what he was going to do next you know and he proved to be really uh you know forced to be reckoned with in this series and the face-off between him and 11 was crazy like when when uh 11 is 
lifting him up into the air and then people go flying through walls and stuff. I, I loved every, every second of it. And up until his last second redemption there at the end, when he, he unfortunately dies, but he lets out one last, I'm sorry uh, to his sister, Max, which I thought was great. And he, even he, even Billy, who was a real scumbag almost 99% of the time, uh, right up until the end there, he had a little bit of a character arc too, and I thought that was great. Well, but then Eleven's vision kind of gives you an idea of how he came to be who he Yes, is. I completely forgot about that, but you're right. that it, it gave a little depth and insight to his childhood and his past to see how he became the way he is. And, you know, he didn't used to be a, a bad kid. He was a, he was a happy, fun-loving kid, and... And it really seems like his father, who was abusive in one way or another, really kind of led him to be who he was today. And I I mean, that's a really sad commentary on like uh, domestic abuse, but it's Mm. it's very real. It has effects. Yep. To echo what you guys are saying, I really, really enjoyed his performance in this season. I think it was a good use of Billy. Um, and I think it was, I think ultimately it was this really emotional, really, uh, bad thing that he went through, um, in regards to like, he was ultimately just being used by this thing. He wasn't actually doing it. So ultimately it was this really thing he had to suffer through this entire time because I think he realized what he was doing. He didn't want to do it. Billy was a bad guy. He wasn't that bad. So ultimately it felt to me like almost a redemption arc mm. in regards to he was like in Star Wars, you have this thing where, you know, people do bad things and then, uh, you know, they they atone for them or they get uh, punished for those things. Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader, gets, you know, swallowed up by a volcano. You know, he has a lot of suffering to go through. I felt like that was kind of his whole thing with being the fact that he was such a bad dude to everyone and now he has to go through this thing where, you know, he's 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 put through a lot of suffering himself. Um, I was the only thing that really disappointed me about that was the fact that he dies at the end. And I felt like I was kind of looking forward to, OK, what's he going to be like when he comes out of this? What could happen to him? What's his state of mind going to be? How is he going to think? Um, and having him die, of course, was, you know, emotional, was satisfying. But at the same time, I would have liked to see more of him. In the future, I like to see you know how how he would have coped with it after the fact. Yeah. Um. Because ultimately, it leaves Max in a really bad place. Um. How is she going to cope with this losing her brother? And you know, after he tried to make amends at the very last moment, but ultimately, you know, like is is it really true redemption? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were times in the sauna episode where he was trying to appeal to Max and ask her for help, and it sounded like the actual Billy was trying to come out just a little bit there. So, you know, it's interesting to think how he was in a darker place than Will was in Season 2. You know, Will didn't really want the Mind Flayer, but kind of got him anyways. This season, the Mind Flayer found somebody who was more amenable to the plans and schemes that he's got and so it's an interesting comparison an interesting look at what could have happened if will had been more willing to succumb to the darkness 
You know, for the most part in season two, he was fighting the darkness. Season three gives us an example in Billy's character of what it would look like to embrace the darkness. Mm -hmm. And it, it really helped his performance, but it also, in my opinion, helped with his redemption as well, because now that he's out from the darkness, now that he's out from the mind player's grasp, one of the last things that he does is instead of being a douche and, you know, yelling at her or whatever, he apologizes to her. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Let me see. There's there's some stuff that happens. Like, I'm, I'm looking at some memes that are talking about behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> the In the sauna test where he um, breaks through the glass, he's, uh, Dr. Montgomery said, that wasn't in the script. I actually headbutted the window. It was super thick, and my head went through most of the glass. The kids' reactions were actually horrified. Jeez. <laughs> Reminds me of the T Rex coming through the sunroof in Jurassic yes, Park. Yes. Like actually, that was a genuine reaction. Actually, yes. Yep. And then towards the end of that, Sean Levy, the director and producer of that episode, said the intensity level was really high. At the end, when Eleven collapses and exhausted into Mike's arms, that was real exhaustion on the part of Millie Bobby Brown. Like, she was legitimately tired from that shooting and actually collapsed into Finn Wolfhard's arms. Also, big shout-out to Millie Bobby Brown, who... So good. ...always brings her A-game, but, like, especially this season, what she went through and the, uh... Especially the scene where they're freaking cutting in her leg and trying to get the slug out of that about destroyed me. Oh, big Um, cheer out loud moment for me. I think it was just probably the most badass scene in the entire show but she comes in with all the kids and the monster is there and she just like picks it up and throws it against the wall throws it against the other wall ceiling floor it was so awesome certified badass yep gotta love just it. saying just saying but yeah i mean for the for the performance in chapter four the sauna test alone I think Dr. Montgomery deserves just an incredible amount of, of respect for, for the part that he played. Um, some are suggesting Emmys, some are suggesting Saturns. I, I don't really know where it would fall, but that individual performance was one of the best that I've seen on the entire show, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like hope that shows like this get you know recognition at awards, but they usually don't. And you know what? It doesn't freaking matter. It's still great. <laughs> Nothing really matters. Well, sorry. I'm totally the type of person that will gloat about when when something I like gets an award, I'll gloat about it and say, oh, yeah, this is great. This is why this is great. It got thing. But then when it doesn't wear an award, I'm like, oh, well, awards don't matter. This is crap. This is None of this <laughs> makes any sense. You don't pay attention to awards. So I am that hypocrite, just so you know. Oh, well, good to know, hypocrite. I'm just going to call you hypocrite from now on. Uh, Hey, I've been called worse. That's true. So have I, actually. Just go to my Twitter page. I go much worse. Right? I'm not going to go there. That's a whole other conversation that we just ain't got time for. Let's talk about the defeat of the Mind Flayer. Everything culminates with a giant battle scene in Starcourt Mall in the finale. You've got 
fighting going on with the Russians downstairs. You've got the kids trying to take care of the mind flayer and all of his glory in the food court area. Like it's big. It's intense. It's crazy. We're lost. We're confused. We're not sure if we're going to win. It's hectic. You know, take, take me through some of your, your thought processes as we're working our way through this, this season finale. Like, how did you guys like handle it emotionally? Because I, I don't think, I don't think I handled myself very well. Yeah. I don't think I did either. It was, it was pretty darn emotional. It was, I was like, like tears and spot and all kinds. Of yep. Stuff. I was crying to beat I the was, band. I, I wasn't as late as some people, <laughs> Just kidding. but I was a pretty late to the game on finishing this series. In fact, I kind of got like halfway through and kind of had to had a big break and then finished it up. So I got spoiled on a couple things. Like I knew going into the finale that, that Hopper was going to die. Um, so that kind of sucked, but it kind of emotionally prepared me for, you know, what was coming. So I knew that and I knew that, uh, you know, so I was kind of prepared for that. But yeah, that whole sequence and losing Billy was was bad, and losing Hopper, and then I think the the most emotional stuff I think for me was was the, the, the kind of the epilogue we have with them moving out of the house and Hopper's speech and all that kind of stuff that kind of happens after the action, like the letter he leaves that, behind, the letter and all that kind of stuff. That really it's thing again. Millie Bobby Brown's performance was amazing. She sells it, and it's. Really heart wrenching, um, and again, I, I think they should leave it at that for Hopper because I think that's that was the that was the ending that really like that's a great ending for that character and a really emotional thing, and sets up some great stuff for the future. Um, yeah, do, ha, David Hopper, don't hate me, please. I, I you know I, I I don't hate you either. I just don't want your character to come back. Unbelievable. I don't want his Hellboy character to come back, but he's probably going to get another movie. <laughs> I don't know. We're just hating all over David Harbour tonight, poor guy. <laughs> I don't. I don't really have a retort. I'm not. I'm not hating him. He's a great guy. If you see, like, I. His... I don't know why you're hating on David Harbour. What has he ever done for if, you? Done to you? He's never done anything for me, but he's never done anything to me either. That's for sure. Um, but if you see like his his activism and stuff that he does on Twitter, like. I'm pretty sure he offered to officiate somebody's wedding in his Hopper outfit if they got a certain number uh-huh. of retweets, and they did. And he held true to his promise and actually performed the ceremony for them. So, wow. I mean, he's he's a really stand-up guy. He is he's a very awesome guy, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him as um, Alexi in the Black Widow movie. Yeah. Uh, me too. I think they call him like the the Red Protector or something like that. Like it's the Red Guardian. The Red Guardian, and I'm just like, oh, that's such a cheesy name. <laughs> oh, he's like Russian Captain America. For yeah, he's yeah. like he's like Russian Captain America. Yep. Okay, which which name is more cheesy, the Red Guardian or Captain America? Yeah, we're it's only Captain America is only not cheesy because we're so used to it. <laughs> like it is incredibly cheesy. Like. I'm all for creating a Lieutenant Texas. I would love to see. I mean, there's Captain, there's Captain Britain, there's all, there's, there's, there's tons of. Them. I think there needs to be a superhero in Cleveland named Captain Cleveland. 
that, that's perfect. See, now I'm thinking of Friends where they were talking about how this guy has so much money he could probably buy a state and name it after him. And he's like, wait, so you mean like Pete Dakota? Or uh, maybe Mississippi? Wow. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, I do have... I do have one slightly off-topic pun that I would like to share. Uh, Just because we've been talking about Russians all night, I feel like I need to tell you guys my favorite Russian joke. Oh, no. We're not going to escape this, so just go for it. (laughs) There was a prompt on the old iOS settings. I don't know if you can still do it with Siri, but there, there was a time where you could say, hey, Siri, why are fire trucks red? And her answer would be, because they have eight wheels and four people on them, and four plus eight is 12. And there are 12 inches in a foot, and one foot is a ruler. And Queen Elizabeth was a ruler. And Queen Elizabeth was also a ship. And the ships sailed the seas. And in the seas are fish, and fish have fins. And the fins fought the Russians. And the Russians are red. And fire trucks are always rushing around. <laughs> Jake logged off. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Don't blame you. Don't blame you there. Oh, I I use Android for a reason. I have lots of reasons. But I do miss being able to ask theory weird questions like that. My backup has become uh, Alexa. I've got an Amazon Echo now, and uh, asking those questions of Alexa are almost as fun. But that's one of my favorite Russian jokes of all time. So thank you, Stranger Things, for giving me a reason to tell my favorite Russian joke. Nice. Nice. So what's what's next? We, we, I'm, I'm guessing predictions for the next season and final thoughts on this one. We're, we're pretty close to done, I think. I think so. I think we covered a lot. Um, so... I don't know. I've kind of talked a little bit about my, my, my predictions earlier. I kind of say, you know, oh, I think, you know, the new season is going to kind of center around, you know, a couple years later. And they uh, – or it might be a year later because there's been a year between the past three seasons. So I think that might be the pattern. I don't know. But I think the buyers and L are going to come back to town and stuff happens because stuff happens. Um, Jake, mm. do you have any theories? Do you think where this could go in season four? Oh, sorry, I'm still reeling from that Russian joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he just over his head. He's still just like his hair is blown back. He's back in his seat, like he can't handle. Yeah, it. no, season four. I think we're gonna get a lot of answers. I hope because that's supposedly supposedly gonna be the last season, from what I hear. Uh, not quite sure about that, but we will see. I. I don't know, man. I really can't say. I think there's a lot of possibilities. All I can all I can say for sure is that I think Hopper's coming back and I bet you there's gonna be a lot of strange things. You don't Wow. You're a big help. Yeah. Thanks. Hey. You you tell your Russian joke and I will give a terrible prediction for season four. Wow. That I mean that mm. <laughs> I mean you, you can't he's not wrong. He's not going to be wrong. Oh, I think strange things will happen in Stranger Things. Wow. Well, it's 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 a, it's a solid theory. Such, such a bold prediction. Yeah, I took a risk with that one. Oh my god. Wait, what if what if they 
subvert our expectations and it's not it's just normal things (laughs) just normal things happening in hawkins indiana oh man they're they're like what what if what if (laughs) hear me out here there there's a whole thing with all the characters they're off on their own little adventures tracking down clues they think they're onto something and they get to the end and they realize it's nothing (laughs) it was all their imagination Nothing happens, and it's anticlimactic, and oh, they were all just seeing Oh, things. oh, oh, okay. Remember maybe like a week or two ago I said that I finished and I had a prediction. Okay, so this brings me back. So, oh. Zach, okay, I do have a real prediction, okay? So you can stop making fun of me. Um, this is my real prediction. I don't think this is going to happen, but it would be crazy if they did. What if... We get to the end of season four, and the last scene takes place, and they roll a few credits, and then they kind of have a post credit scene, just like they did with this season. But it's all of the kids back the same age they were in season one, so it's like they had the foresight to film this ahead of time, and they close the book, and then they go, well, that was a crazy Dungeons & Dragons game, guys. Let's all go home. And it was all a freaking game. Oh, wow. How would you feel about that? I'm offended that you even brought that up. I think it would be really kind of cool. Like, it would be a little creepy because it's like, oh, man, they planned this ahead of time, you know? Like, like, we're just back when the kids were kids again. Like, I mean, they're still kids, but when they were season one age, you know? That would be crazy. I think it would be interesting if the the last scene – or like, what if there's a season five and they jump, they jump forward in time? Yeah, and it's set in like the modern day, and Adam Driver is playing Mike. Yes. Well, in it, Bill Hader plays an older version of Finn Wolfhard. Okay. Yeah, I guess he's the definitive. So now. off of that, this is where one of my predictions comes in. I, I would like to say that. Um, there is a distinct possibility we could end up seeing Bill Skarsgård in season four. Really, really. I uh, think they're gonna. They're gonna. There's, I'm not necessarily saying in clown garb, but I feel like he fits the vibe of Stranger Things very well. His persona, his aura, the way he carries himself, he has the potential to make an impact in the Stranger Things universe. And I think the Duffer Brothers would be foolish not to jump on that, especially considering the fact that Finn Wolfhard has worked with Skarsgård on the production of the first It movie. So there, there, is, there, there. is a connection there. There is some chemistry there. And there is the potential for a Skarsgårdian type of character to terrorize the status quo that goes on in Hawkins. So if, if I'm talking about you know production-wise and not story-wise... I would like to think that we could see Bill Skarsgård in season four. Now, as far as storyline goes, I've been alluding to it just a little bit, but I would like to think that the next threat is going to be one that even Eleven can't handle with all of her powers and abilities. And that uh, that little sidebar storyline that took off in Pittsburgh um, would actually lead to something and you know bring in a couple of other powered people hopefully at least two maybe three so that she's got a team 
of former uh, Hawkins lab patients that are working together in order to defeat the common foe. And I also think this this may be stretching it just a bit, but I also think these past three three seasons these three seasons these three seasons have been more reactionary to the crises. Like when something happens, they then respond to it to try and defend their world. I think right. eventually, in order to snuff out the threat once and for all, instead of closing the gate, I think they're going to need to take the fight to the upside down. And now that the production, yeah. now that the production is big enough, I think you could take that Avengers-style character and some of the supporting characters like Eleven's friends and family and the Hopper if he comes back. You know, you could have almost like a, a Hawkins Avengers-type army or whatever marching into the Upside Down to try and eliminate the threat once and for all. That would be interesting. That that And see, that's interesting because I think ultimately you're right it has been reactionary it has been this kind of thing where they kind of react and they kind of breathe a sigh of relief like oh we're finally finished with it and ultimately it still comes right back. and well what and yeah. that's the thing is it's like the definition of insanity is like you're expecting the same thing to happen over and over and get the different results it's not going to happen so the only way you're going to get different results is if you try a different approach and so i think eventually you're going to be able to defend you know hawkins from the upside down but eventually you're just going to have to take the fight to the upside down. Mm-hmm. I think where season three excelled is that it, it it was a different take on kind of the normal stuff. It wasn't trying to just do season one or season two over again. So I would love it if they brought some new concepts and, and some new strategies for the characters that, you know, they understand where this is. And uh, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I think they, they really have some good ground to make something really interesting. So I've got one more thing to pose to you guys. And this one is probably going to be one of the most controversial thoughts, but also potentially one of the most brave thoughts. Mm. I'm assuming you guys remember the plot to the Clone Wars episode Rookies. Oh, hell yeah. It's been a while. It's it's probably my favorite episode of the Clone Wars, period. But I am of the thought, and I know this one's probably the most far-fetched thought that's been presented all night. But in the episode Rookies, they try and retake the base. But by the time they retake the base from the droids, the all-clear signal has been hardwired, and there's no way to disable it. The droids are trying to retake the base. They're overrun. They're overwhelmed. So what do they do to alert the Republic that there is a problem on this base? They blow up the base. I think Mm. that if there is a legitimate threat to Hawkins because of this Mind Flayer, there's a chance the only way you can get rid of the Mind Flayer is by getting rid of Hawkins. Holy crap. Oh, Nuke Hawkins. Exactly. <laughs> that would be quite something. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding, though, because we're dealing with the Cold War. We're, we're dealing with, you know, the, the nuclear tensions that are going on between the United States and Russia. And if you can't defend Hawkins 
from the Mind Flayer, just evacuate it and nuke the son of a bitch. That would be crazy. It would really take things up a notch. It would be a really big step. It would be a really drastic step. But they may be taking those steps that direction anyways by moving Joyce and her family out of Hawkins. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, the threat really isn't in Hawkins. It's in the upside-down Hawkins. What if, what if, a la Avengers 1, you drop a nuke in that gateway uh, and you nuke... Uh you nuke the upside down, what happens? Mm -hmm. Because, like, these worlds obviously are connected, mm -hmm. so would the real world be safe? Would it? Would something happen? Like, would you cause... I don't know, like... And wouldn't a nuke even do anything to that, to the Mind Flare or whatever? Who knows? Who knows? But that radiation may be the only thing that keeps the gate from reopening. Yeah. Oh, like, or maybe they just need to maybe they just need to nuke Russia because there's ones that open the gate again. I really like your theory, Zach. I think that's a big possibility, and I, I hope they do that now. <laughs> <laughs> you hope that they nuke Hawkins, Indiana. Yeah, like if they get everybody out of there, heck yeah, that'd be an awesome moment. Like, like, can you imagine if Hopper comes back and he's like, "This is what we have to do in order." to survive we have to leave our homes everything that we've built here we've got to get rid of the entire town in order to save the world yeah i would love it i don't know it, it like i said it's far-fetched but given the fact that the buyer's family has moved out and given that we're right in the middle of the cold war i and we've already gotten you know russians on the scene in this season the next logical step, if we're continuing this 80s into the 90s trend, is this ongoing Cold War threat. Using some kind of nuclear device just seems like a next somewhat logical step in this storytelling prose. What if they successfully evacuate Hawkins and they nuke it, but everyone forgot to tell Mike's parents? So <laughs> oh no! Uh, just... What did I do? What did I do? Oh, look at the flash! <laughs> oh man, I, we didn't even get into Mike's parents. Oh, I mean, they're pretty useless. <laughs> just oh man, it's just oh um, man that that's something that I don't even know if I can get into without like getting really bent out of shape so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna like move things into final thoughts i don't even know if we need to to do a, a like a planet score for a tv series do we do planet scores for tv series or do we just do it for we we did planet score for the short film last week did we oh did i give one well i don't know if you did but it was it was there was some timey wimey stuff going on, so it's understandable if you missed the memo. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I had to like submit that at a different interval. So, um, yeah, I would probably give it like a nine point five. The only point five would be like some of the some of the music resembled the Lost World a little too much for me, and um, I wanted more. That wasn't enough. <laughs> I I agree. I agree. I felt like like I got to like the. Second to last episode, I'm like, 
wait, this is it? Like, I want to oh, keep going. I was talking like, about. Really I good. was talking about Battle of Big Rock. I'm sorry. Oh, that too. That too. <laughs> that too. It, it applies to both. That 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 statement applies to both. I wanted more Stranger Things and Battle of Big uh, Rock. Yeah, I did too. Honestly, like that's the thing about a binge is when you're finished with it, you're like you're like um bloat from Finding Nemo. Now what? <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're we're doing this. We're doing this. Jake. Yes. Final thoughts. Planet score out of ten. Uh, final thoughts. My favorite season of this show of Stranger Things. Great character arcs. Uh, great uh, moments. Great scenes. Great story. Great everything. I loved it all. Uh, you know, few nitpicks here and there. I can't say really I loved it all because Erica got on my nerves a little bit, and there were a few other things in there. I was like, eh, I could do without this. But uh, overall, very enjoyable television, and I'm gonna go ahead and give it a nine out of ten. Nice, nice, Zach. What about you? Um, so for my final thoughts, I'm gonna actually discuss some of the stuff that I didn't like in this because we we spent the whole evening talking about what we did like and i'm gonna i'm gonna go off on some of the stuff that i didn't care for i know that dustin was just getting back from a math camp or something like that but his separation from the rest of the group really threw me off because the whole point of the first couple of seasons was the kids going on adventures together and he wasn't on the adventure with L and Mike and Lucas and Will and everybody else. He was off on the side doing like a side quest, basically. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't care for that. I was like, he's supposed to be part of the core gang. What is he doing all the way over here? Also, kind of with you, Jake, Erica can be a little funny at times, but also mostly annoying. Yeah. Uh, and and the fact that there were so many storylines because you've got, you know, Dustin and Erica and Robin and Steve over here. You've got, uh, um, you know, the kids doing another adventure. You've got uh, Murray and Alexi and Jim and Joyce over here. And then you've got nancy and jonathan in another frame they were cutting back and forth a lot trying to keep up with everybody's storylines and in doing so i feel like everybody's storylines got hurt a little bit because they were just jumping around scene to scene so much that nobody really got the development that they deserved Mm -hmm. and so the the, the, the storyline wasn't bad. The set design wasn't bad. The action sequences in the finale, once everybody's back together, were awesome and fun to watch. Uh, the solving mystery stuff that happens at Starcourt and with Nancy and Jonathan, it was fun to watch. The, the horrific nature of everything was a big step up in uh, the way that they used their CGI and their production budget and everything. There were a lot of really good things about this season, but storytelling-wise, as a writer, I was like, uh, this could have been better. Mm. And by doing that, it ended up hurting the entire show, in my opinion. So I loved Dr. Montgomery. I loved Millie Bobby Brown. And I loved the, the character, the, the man who played Alexi. I forget his name off the top of my head. 
Um, there, there were a lot of really great elements to this season, but the way they constructed it was where it got hurt. And so I'm actually going to give it an eight out of 10. Fair enough. And for me, um, Like I said, I really enjoyed this season. I think it could be one of the strongest seasons we've got. Um, But like you guys, I I have my criticisms too. I like the character dynamics. Um, Having some characters being away from other characters, like like Dustin not being with the main crew, I I get where you're coming from there. I really do. And I think that maybe it would have been nice to get more of him with the other king. But at the same time, we've gotten a lot of him. I like doing more. I like what they did with him in the bunker. Um, So that was good. Um, I... Like I said, I think Hopper's character kind of suffered a bit. I think it was it was a bit much to have him be so, I don't know, I think he had such great development up until season two, and then that whole left turn with him just kind of being just so angry all the time, and also him, his distrust of Joyce and all this kind of stuff I thought was really kind of a, a, too much for his character. I think they could have been a little more careful with how they, and maybe built up to, Maybe him having this turning point of now he's really angry and he's fed up. It seemed like he just started the season right off the bat like that, which I think was a bit much. Um, but overall, I think really great performances. I think it was a really well-structured season. I think they did it again with weaving all these different storylines together and ultimately bringing them to a close really in a satisfying way, but also leaving the door open for more stuff. And as you said, Daka Montgomery, Millie Bobby Brown, um all the cast is stellar, like, down to, like, you don't have to like her, but, like, what's her name? She's she's great actress. Like, mm-hmm. she sells being annoying. Yeah, that's so, true. So, um, all around, they this cat this show is well cast. It's well written. The special effects keep getting better. It's really, it's movie quality at this point. You could put this in a the theater and no one would bat an eye. Like, it, it it's not a TV show at all. It, it is really Great, oh, it's cinematic quality, quality. That, absolutely. Oh yeah, the mind flare itself—that monster is just mind-blowingly like spectacular. Yeah. The way it looks and how it how it interacts with the whole thing, and yeah, just in the darkness and whatever—it's just crazy awesome. So, so leading all this up to, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten as well. I really enjoyed this. I have minimal complaints. I have a few complaints, but they're minimal. So. And I really enjoyed this one, and I'm looking forward to season four. Nice. Well, I think one area that we all have no complaints on uh, are, is, is actually what we have selected as our quote of the night. Yes. <laughs> There's been this underlying story the entire season about Dustin's so-called girlfriend named Susie. And like he tries <laughs> to describe her at different points, and they're like, nah, no way. And then he actually gets a hold of her on his radio and she helps him save the day, basically. And the only way that she is willing to help is by getting him to sing her a song. And it's it's cute, it's unexpected, and it's hilarious, and it's amazing. And I'm just going to shut up and let you guys listen to it now because it's time for tonight's quote of the night. Steven, you copy? I copy, Susie Poo. It sounds much better now. Thanks. Susie. Okay, so listen. Do you know Planck's constant? Do you know the Earth orbits the sun? <laughs> okay, so I know it starts with two sixes and then a 
what is it? Okay, let me just be clear on this. I haven't heard from you in a week, and now you want a mathematical equation that you should know so you can save the world? Susie Poo, I promise I will make it up to you as soon as possible. You can make it up to me now. What? I want to hear it. Not right now. Yes, now, Dusty Bun. Susie Poo, this is urgent. Yes, yes, you're saving the world. I heard you the first time, but Ged is also saving Earthsea, and he's about to confront the shadows, so this is Susie signing off. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay. Okay. Turn around. Look at what you see in her face. The mirror of your dreams. Is six point six two six zero seven zero zero four. You just saved the world. Gosh, I miss you, Dusty Bun. I miss you more, Susie Poo. I miss you more, multiplied by all the stars in our galaxy. No, I miss you. Enough. So I gotta ask you, were you guys expecting to hear the never-ending story during the season finale? Because I sure wasn't. I was because it was, like, spoiled. For me. It was everywhere. It was everywhere on Twitter and Facebook. People were posting it. That well, song is still in my head. <laughs> that's what happens when you binge it on opening night. You'd get nothing spoiled for you. Well, yeah, I have a life, all right, and I don't have time for that. Uh, yeah, whatever. Whatever. It was a great yeah, moment in the show, though. And yeah, it was. It's just I love that this show embraces the ridiculousness of the the situations that they're in. The fact that they're all dealing with this, and it all comes down to all of them have to listen to this very um, this sing along song over the radio. Yeah. <laughs> while they're all about to and die. Like, and if you think about it, if you think about it, Susie killed Hopper. Oh my gosh. Susie, because her demanding that Dustin do the song with her wasted time that they could have spent, actually, I think before the, the Russian guy got to them, and they could have been done before he got there, but they wasted time. So Susie is the culprit. She's a murderer. Actually... I'm going to counter that and say it's Dustin's fault. Why do you say that? 
because he should have known the equation without even having to ask Susie for help. Oh my gosh. So there it's a murdering duo. I see what no, you're saying. No, no. It has no there's no duo. If Susie doesn't exist and and Dustin knows the equation, he's able to tell it to them right away and they get out of there just fine. But because he has to phone it in and he has to like use his lifelines, you know, like whose line is it anyway? Not whose line. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? If he if he has to phone a friend in order to figure out this equation, then that's on Dustin because he literally just came home from math camp. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Nah, I'm paying this all on Susie. <laughs> Susie's evil. Gotta go. I think I gotta go with Ben on this one. <laughs> Fine. Susie's the scapegoat. Whatever. We all know the truth. I, I see your point, though. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the middle. I don't know. It's so hard to choose. They're both at fault. Let's just say that. Guys, let us know. Is it is it Dustin? Who, kill, who killed the hopper? Is it Dustin or Susie? Is it let us know on social media. At is, it, is, it, is it Susie for wanting to sing the song, or is it Dustin for not knowing the equation in the first place? Actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it was the Russians' fault because they built that machine no, that exploded. No, no, That's a cop-out. <laughs> cop-out. Blaming the Russians. Everything is the Russians' fault. Haven't you been watching CNN lately? True. <laughs> oh. Fair okay. enough. I'm Fair done. Enough. I'm done. It's time to talk about merrier matters. Ladies and gents, get out your hashtags. Put them in the chat if you're listening live. And we have had some great live engagement on tonight's episode on channel1138.com. Um, thank you to, to uh, Celine and George for, for having fun with us over there in the live chat. Um, but if you're listening on social media or, you know, uh, starwarsunderworld.com or wherever else you find this podcast, then go find us at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all that good stuff. And be sure to use this hashtag because it's time one more time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. Barbecue. Tonight's segment isn't going to be super long. It's kind of a mini review, if you will, because uh, not too long ago, within the last week or two, question mark, Jake and I both had the opportunity to try the uh, new sliced barbecue sandwich from Arby's. Mm. Yes, and we did. It's it's. The, the sauce, I think, is bourbon-based. Yeah. And, um, it's it's a smoked brisket, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a smoked brisket with a really sweet sauce and then mm -hmm. some kind of onion crunchies on top of it as well with, like, a really nice poofy bun holding it all together. Um, at least that's what mine was like. How, how was your experience with that sandwich, dude? That's pretty much exactly what it was like, you know, and I've I've had like, OK, so I drive for my job. I drive all over the place and sometimes I just need to carve out a little time during the day to stop and get some lunch. And 
one time not too long ago i stopped and got some like real like it was a barbecue place you know it was a barbecue restaurant everything was homemade delicious uh they gave me everything in a uh styrofoam like partitioned uh tray thing and i had some real barbecue brisket uh, i almost said barbecue biscuit um but this you know this is this is fast food you know like what what does fast food barbecue brisket taste like and I'm not going to lie. I didn't hate it. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever had. It definitely wasn't the type of quality you'd expect or get from one of those mom and pop places that are just going to, you know, everything's going to be homemade and delicious. Uh, This is just kind of a mass produced thing. Sure. But I didn't hate the taste. I think if anything I had a, a problem with, it was like the texture, maybe just something with the, the bun like the quality of bread with the with the the meat itself uh maybe that wasn't the greatest but i didn't hate it and uh yeah i i think i might even get it again personally but it i would say at worst it was average you know i i I might give it like a five out of ten total just for experience i didn't hate it didn't love it it was just kind of right in the middle for me I think the crunchies actually helped with the texture part for me because if I didn't have that, it's it's rather mushy in nature because yeah. you, you've got a very spongy bun and then you've got very soft meat that you're chewing on and a very sweet sauce kind of smoothing everything out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I wanted a little variety in the flavor and I didn't really get that, but I did get a variety in texture. And yeah. so by, by having those little onion crunchies in there, it did enhance it a little bit. Um, the, the, the thing with Arby's is sometimes you can get like hot sandwiches and then sometimes you get them more like cold cuts Mm. and I couldn't really tell which one this brisket was. I couldn't tell if it was meant to be a hot sandwich or if it was supposed to be cold cuts because the meat was just kind of lukewarm, like, like room temperature. And that kind of disturbed me a little bit. Like how long has that meat been sitting out? You know? Right. Yeah. I think mine was mine was fairly warm, okay. not not cold or anything like that. It was it was pretty warm. Um, I don't know. I I was sipping my drink the whole time too, so that kind of balanced everything out. But sure. it wasn't like overbearing. But I I definitely think the heat helped a little bit for sure. And yeah, the onion crunchy things were were pretty good. I think they added some a, a nice texture to it too. But yeah, it just it it kind of to me was just kind of like it, it was it was edible, but it was not like high quality food, you know. Yeah, and that's disappointing because this is one of those limited time only type of products from a fast food chain that is supposed to be a little bit more high rise. Like if you look at their prices, they are more than what you would get from someplace like uh, you know, a Wendy's or a McDonald's or Burger King or what have you, you know, some of those other type of fast food chains. Um, Arby's is a little bit more high rise than that. They're kind of in that regime with like Schlotzky's and Chick-fil-A, you know? Yeah. And so you're kind of expecting a little bit more from them and didn't quite deliver. So, you know, like you said, it was, it was nice to experience, but I think from here on out, I'm going to stick to the beef and cheddar. Mm-hmm. That one is tried and true for me. Definitely. Okay. Well, 
now I'm officially hungry, having talked about food on the last segment of the night. We did not plan that very well when we created this podcast five years ago. <laughs> no, we did not. Uh, let a- me see. We've got we got uh, some some commentary here in the live chat. Arby's gyros are the best fast food I've ever had. I've never tried their gyros. I, I, I have to say, I have had one of them uh, a couple times. It was the lamb one specifically. I never had lamb before, which is crazy that my first lamb experience was at a fast food restaurant it is delicious i have to agree you, you gotta try it. you gotta try it i'll i'll try at least one um lamb i have had lamb before i had a lamb burger one time from burger i am and that was pretty good but mm-hmm. that's probably best saved for another time because we are running out of time before we go a thank you to the people who financially contribute to the show like Joey Mays, Jake Damon, who I'm talking to right now, uh, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, Parker Ott, and Carrie Fleming. If you want to become a patron of the program and help support us and keep the lights on, then go visit us at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Pod as in podcast, bean like green bean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Our entire library is there. The patron button is there. Our social media is there. And you can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and StarWarsUnderworld.com. They are a proud partner of the IPC podcast. If you're looking for podcast swag for the upcoming holiday season, be sure to go check us out at teepublic.com, teepublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. We've got t-shirts, we've got mugs, we've got notebooks, we've got phone cases, all kinds of awesome stuff to help you get set up for your podcasting fun for this holiday season uh you can find us on social media at ipc podcast on facebook twitter and instagram although i really haven't posted anything on instagram lately so twitter might be your best bet but uh always a good time on the show and uh i know i'm going a little bit fast but guys why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find uh you guys personally on social media as well jake uh you can find me on instagram at jake w damon on twitter at Jake Damon still it sucks this guy this guy has not written back to me since that amazing moment where he read my messages and started to type one back but never did it's so annoying will this ever happen who knows Ugh. anyways uh, you can find me those places also uh, my brother and I are doing a podcast called Ben 10 again where we watch every episode of Ben 10 uh, currently working on revamping the artwork, and I uh, just edited, re-edited all the episodes to include new theme music, which is really good. Uh, and hopefully, we can pass the the prerequisites or the the I don't even know the rules that Anchor has in place to be able to be distributed on all platforms instead of just Spotify. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that, I guess. <laughs> Um, you can find myself on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Ben Hart with no E. Exactly how it sounds. You can, uh, yeah, 
get my get whatever I'm doing. I don't do. I'm, I'm the same way with Instagram. I don't do a whole lot. I guess I'm uh, going somewhere interesting, and, and I haven't been no, interested. It must be nice to have oh. the same uh, uh, username across all platforms. Yeah, it is really really nice. <laughs> I really love that about my synergy. You know, you should try something. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm thinking about changing my Man. name to something a little bit more like obscure, just so I can have the same one across all platforms. But I really love Jake David. So simple and easy to find. Just keep trying, keep trying. You'll, you'll get there, you'll get there. Um, and uh, StarWarsOnTheWorld.com, you can find literally everything I do is is over there. So check out Star Wars on the World podcast, all the latest Star Wars news, which is, is been piling up lately, and I've been writing a lot of articles for you guys, so hopefully uh, to keep you up to date on everything going on over there. So yeah, check it out. Awesome sauce. And you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. Uh, I've also got some stuff for my football broadcasting stuff that I've been doing for local regional work. You can find that on Facebook and Twitter at Zach the Voice, Z-A-C-H. I don't know why. I do like an, a C in one place and an H in another. It is what it is. But uh, Zach the Voice on Facebook and Twitter for that. And uh, as always, uh, a lot of fun on the IPC podcast as well whenever I'm able to show up. Glad I could be in for this one, guys. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for Absolutely. keeping this ship afloat in my untimely absences. Uh, I know I can trust you guys with this project, and that's a that's a very reassuring feeling when I step to the mic for my other projects. So I appreciate you guys a lot. We appreciate you joining us. Hopefully you'll be back with us. Very I'm soon. looking forward to that, and hopefully you listeners will be back with us soon as well. But that is going to do it for tonight's episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. Season 2, Episode 6 is now officially in the books for Jake Damon and Ben Hart. My name is Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this final thought. Choose your enemies wisely, as they may be your last hope. And we hope to see you next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. enjoying your chicken, Ted. What did I do? Hey, what did I do?